Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Yeah, sounds good to me. It's Monday, so I have my typical Monday confusion of, of where I am, what I'm doing, what's going on, and shuffling stuff around. And it's really interesting. I was talking to someone about this the other day that, you know, talking about things they haven't done for six months or done for a year. I noticed a difference Monday. You know, if I haven't done radio since Friday, so that's two days off. It does make a difference. It's, it's, it's fascinating how it works, but it actually, uh, there's sort of a, a kind of a haphazard, scatterbrain nature to Monday. Whoop. Like my, hell, I'll be right back. Oh. Things like my rug, things like the rug under my chair, messing me up in the morning. So all these little things go on. It's funny. I have my little rituals, too. I got business cards of things I might talk about. I've got three guitar picks on my desk. Don't ask me why. I read about agreement on a white one. And the white one's the one I use. (laughs) But it's just, they're just there. They're like little good luck charms that I play with during the show. And it's just stuff. This is, it's fascinating how we all develop our little idiosyncrasies and away we go. Okay, we've got a lot to talk about today. Because this is the 1,000th show. That's the 1,000th show uh, of Action Radio, of the Action Radio Citizen Legislature on Block Talk Radio. And it all started with Bill Fecky back when, who does the Wednesday Report, the Fecky Report. Uh, after uh, I got fired from WBY, and I'm looking around other radio stations, I'm trying to find a job, and I went, you know, I was driving within 100 miles. I figured, yeah, that's the most I can do, and still, you know, uh, uh, I didn't know I was going to stay here in the area. I wanted to stay here. And so I'm thinking, you know, what do I do? And, of course, nobody offered me a job. Uh, and so I'm thinking, okay, because, I mean, the first time I looked for a job, I had to go through some 400-plus stations. And those are just the ones that had local hosts. You know, there were stations that had the usual – this is back several years ago, back 2015, 2016. And the only uh, shows stations out there, they all had the usual suspects, like Laura Ingham and Sean Hannity and Mark Levin. And of course, Rush was on, was dominating everything. And there were about six hosts that, that covered like 90% of the talk radio stations, which is a lot of stations, well, maybe not that much, whatever it was. I ended up applying to some 400 stations across the country over the course of several years, trying to find the right place to start action radio. And eventually did find my place and only got to do it for a year and four months. And then I was out because I got basically fired for doing what I was, you know, hired to do, which is action radio, which is an interesting story in itself. I'm not going to bore you with now. But the point being that um, this uh, once I was out um, and I looked around, I I found that uh, conventional radio was just not going to work because of this boss problem. Now, my boss at WBY was great. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about standard radio where you have a, either a program director or an operations director, and they're basically watching everything you're doing, and they're looking at ratings and looking at their advertising revenue, and they're, you know, are you saying the right thing to make us money? Well, that's not why I did this. I mean, I'm basically starting the, you know, the peaceful second revolution. Uh, that's what Action Radio is all about. And there's some interesting hosts or interesting people that are writing articles on, to that very effect. And there's some things going on behind the scenes that are incredibly exciting. But it's fascinating that at this particular time in history, uh, at this particular junction of technology, uh, at this particular oppression of Marxism and a stolen government, uh, at this particular tyranny, everything's coming together at once. I mean, this is a convergence in history like I haven't seen probably since World War II, when I wasn't there in World War II. But in terms of all these things coming together, in World War II, you had the hottest temperatures, for example, though for all you climate change you know, folks that uh, don't think these things happen naturally. Very hot temperatures. Uh, socialism was worldwide. 
And you had uh, Mao in China, you had uh, Stalin in Russia, you had Hitler in Germany, you had Mussolini in, in Italy, and we had our own socialist, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who in no stretch uh, would be compa- comparable to these other you know, tyrants and dictators, except for the fact that, that uh, FDR exposed socialist policies. But he still operated within the Constitution, and he was duly elected, and he, uh, unlike the, the current person, um, and so, but he brought, he was much more of a socialist and had much more socialist policies than probably anybody before him with the New Deal and everything else. So it's just interesting that uh, as the world warmed, <laughs> it's kind of funny, it went completely leftist. And that was a convergence of, of historic proportions. You had mechanization, you had industrial revolution, you had weapons development beyond anything seen before. We had the atomic bomb. Okay. So you take a look then, you know, 1930s, 1940s. Now let's fast forward 100 years. And so now we're 1920s, you know, and of course, in, in 100 years ago, we had the Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties were brought about by a cut of the national debt in half and a cut of the federal budget in half. And that was done by Calvin Coolidge. Well, we need to do the same again. And of course, we'll get the predictable same result. We'll have the Roaring Twenties once again, except it'll be 2020 instead of 1920. And so we can do it, but we need to, we need basically to have a peaceful revolution to do it. And the question always comes out, how? How are you going to do that? How are you revolutionizing the country and get back our freedom? How are you going to give it to people so that we, the people, control the government rather than the government controlling we, the people? So we have government as, as a necessary evil things that only government can do, you know, which is proper regulation, uh, law enforcement, uh, things like that, uh, defending our borders and the things that the proper role of government, which is defined by the Constitution. The states gave the federal government certain powers. That's it. Okay. Now, they have seen fit to, to completely go beyond those powers and create what I, I think is almost their own entity. And I was watching a special on One American News this morning, early, early, it was like 4 o'clock in the morning. And they were talking about um, the, the rise of the securities uh, surveillance state. And they went back through all these programs. They didn't get to Echelon. I remember that one. But they talked about Threadline and some other things. And, and going back to the Patriot Act and how George Bush uh, Jr., the younger, was a complete and total... Um, you know, surveillance guy. I mean, he didn't care about privacy. He didn't care about constitutional rights. And this is why I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, because both of them are oppressive parties and that they maintain control by the fact that they exert control over their party members as soon as they get into Congress and the state legislatures and the city councils and, you know, things down below. It's not as bad. It's really bad in the state legislatures, uh, but it's especially bad in Congress, which is my thought now that no member of Congress should be allowed to be in a party, receive money from a party, be influenced by a party, and should not, in Congress themselves, uh, the party should have absolutely no influence whatsoever. In fact, if anybody wants to uh, you know, run for committee chair, that's all done by vote. Uh, the, the, the issues themselves, the bills themselves, would all be voted independently. There would be no party. You couldn't, there would be no majority party. So there would be no party selecting the committee chairs. There would be no majority. The speaker would not be selecting the bills. They would be done by the Congress through discharge petition and other things like that. So that's the, that's the best way to get out of our current dictatorship and get back to a constitutional republic. And so all these people are writing about, you know, we need the, you know, we need the revolution. We need this. We need that. And of course, I don't, I don't want a revolution of, of, of arms. I want a revolution of thought. Okay, big difference. I want the peaceful revolution. I mean, I created Action Radio to be that peaceful revolution, to be that intermediary between ballots and bullets. Okay, bullets don't work. People die. You know, we don't want that. That's, that's, the, that's the end result. That's, that's the failure of everything else. And I, I'm, I don't intend on failing. Okay, so that's, that's, the, that's the last resort we don't want. The government wants that because they're stockpiling, you know, uh, they've got some 287,000 armed federal agents. 
That's actually the most armies in the world. Okay, they've got thousands upon thousands upon thousands of guns. They've got billions of rounds of ammunition. Well, isn't that interesting <laughs> for for government agencies in the, the federal government to have that many uh, uh, officers under arms? They're just like soldiers. If they were an army, they'd have almost 12 divisions. Now, in World War II in Europe, we used 20 divisions, just to put that in perspective. So it's over half the amount of people that we used in World War II to defeat the Nazis and the fascists in Italy. That should, that should scare the hell out of you. Okay? So you've got the convergence of technology. You've got uh, social media, which I learned this morning was really, you know, Google, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter are basically CIA creations to monitor and collect data on Americans. So all that stuff you put in your personal uh, data personal page goes right to the CIA, uh, FBI, and goes to the massive data collection. What they do with it, I'm not sure. It's a lot of information. And again, if the FBI, KGB wants to find out what's going on with Action Radio, all you have to do is listen. I'm pretty open about this stuff. And so, uh, so that's how that goes. Anyway, um, this morning what I want to talk about, first of all, it being the thousandth show, and secondly, who exactly is running the country? And so we're going to get to that in a little bit. I've got a series of articles. Then we've got Jonathan Mosley coming in at the top of the next hour. And then we have Dorothy Diana with the Sex and Sensuality Report at the hour uh, beyond that. So it's going to be an interesting morning. Anyway, Pianchi's here. And Pianchi, I think, has been with me pretty much since the beginning. Pianchi, when did you first start calling the show? Do you remember? You've been here as long as I can remember. And that's we're going on five years. This December 24th is our fifth year anniversary. Hello. How are you this morning? Um, for, for the 1,000th show and being old, as we all are getting, I'm doing fine. <laughs> I don't feel old. I'm just teasing you. But, yeah, I'm doing yeah, very I well. Yeah, I came it's, for the 1,000th show. I came for the anniversary. Oh, well, welcome. Hey, listen, let's, let's have a little celebratory music now that you, uh, you mention it. And here we are. And, of course, the man most responsible for me being here on Block Talk Radio is joining us now, too, Bill Fecky. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Congratulations on your 1,000th show. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's your fault. <laughs> you started this. It is my fault. It's part of my fault. You had the idea, and I just found the outlet. Well, oh no, don't don't diminish it. No, I really had no knowledge of internet radio. In fact, I was a little resistant at first because I didn't know, which is you know I think a natural reaction. Um, but um, because I, I was thinking, how how is this going to work? How do I do a, a whole radio show by myself? Uh, and of course, we had uh, Gene producing for a long time. We're going to have another producer too. I'm already uh, I'm already talking to to someone. Uh, more details as as I can release them. But so we're this you know it, you look at the computer screen and like I say, a lot of times I'll have one hand on the mouse. 
you know, I have another hand on the keyboard. I'm talking at the same time. I'm looking up stuff. I got a notebook beside me and I'm juggling all these things at once. And I'm listening to you guys and, and trying to make sense of it all. I'm trying to make intelligent conversation as all these things are going on, plus live chat, plus the Skype line. It gets busy, but it can be done apparently. So, you know, at least I hope so. Well, I mean, so isn't, that what having AD, isn't that what having ADHD is all about, though, to allow I you think to so. do all that at the same time? Yep, 15, 15 capabilities simultaneously. I think that's the ADHD brain. Yeah, and, of course <laughs> it, and then I do all these production things, too. My favorite one is, is this one. So we're, we're going to do a little nostalgia here uh, and just play things. But this is one of my first ones. So, so, here's, so for those that want to know how this came, all these production things come about, uh, I went to college. And this is, I was 55, 50, I think I was about 56 years old. And I'm surrounded by 18 and 19 year old kids. <laughs> I'm at a lonely college in Fremont, California, which is a wonderful school, by the way. They have KOHL radio. In fact, I might, I might put some of my original soundtracks here. You know, here I am, you, you, these 18 year old, you know, young voices, you know, announcing folks. Then you have me come out. I actually was a college DJ, DJ playing tunes. It was like, and now Ariana Grande at KOHL radio, you know, Fremont college, <laughs> you know, uh, or Ohlone College, Fremont, California. It was hysterical because we had this big, deep voice, right? So they obviously knew I wasn't a regular uh, student. But that's, that's what happened. That's, that, that was some of the fun. Anyway, so what they taught me how to do there was use this program called Adobe Audition. And it's the same program that the, the big guys use in the stations. Of course, they know how to use it better than I do. Uh, I'm still kind of tinkering and trying to find the manual and, and make sense of this. Anyway, so... And I have another track, uh, Soundtracks, which, which has the sound background stuff. So all the sound effects you hear, all the, all the music, the, it's, it's uh, non-copyright music, all the backgrounds that I use for these things is how I create this. And so what you do is you, you play the track, and then you record your voice, and then it goes through like a processing thing. It normalizes, it, uh, it, it, it does stuff, and it uh, spits out an MP3, which I can then upload to um, Blog Talk Radio's studio screen. Now, none of this I knew how to do beforehand. I knew how to do the Adobe Edition, but I had no idea how to actually make promos and do things like that. And that's how this, things like this came about, which is still my favorite promo. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. So I just put all our cliches in one place and turned it into a promo. That that, that was one of my favorite ones, and and it seems like it was just yesterday that it was playing, but I guess it was three and a half years ago that we did uh, do that one. I don't know what the date on it is. I'll I'll take a look. I can can pull up my music program and tell you, but that's been around for a couple of years, easy. Uh, Maybe three years by now. I'm not sure. But uh, it's one of the oldest ones, and some of these things have been around since a very – We are coming – we're coming up on our four-year anniversary this year, so five years. It's uh, five year. Five year. Yeah. You're, oh wow. Yeah. You're right. It is five yeah. years. Mm-hmm. Well, you yeah, figure. So we're going to have a big celebration on Christmas Eve. 
Yeah, that sounds good. Yes, December 24th is when we actually started the show, 2018. And so this being 2022, so this will be our, our 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, the, no, uh, but it, it actually is five because the first year counts as one. So 2018 is one, 2019 is two, 2020 okay. is three, 2021 is four, and 2022 no, is No, but you, you can't – no, you're doing it wrong because um, you did, uh, it was at the end of 2018. So uh, Christmas Eve 2019 is one, 2020 is two. 2021 is three, so this year is the fourth year. Okay, good. Well, I, I suck at math anyway, so that's okay. Um, yeah. fact, listen, <laughs> I, I really do. No, this is, I mean, I'm math dyslexic. I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. This is why I really leave it to you, leave it to you guys. But I'll say another thing. Uh, in fact, there's only one theme of all of these that I didn't make, and, and that's, that's Bill's theme. Yep. Night Action Radio presents the Fetty Report. I, I yeah, you, you know, no, that's, that, <laughs> that's when I had my uh, that's when I had my uh, Sunday night show. Uh, uh-huh. That's what I started, and uh, that theme took me, I bet you, three weeks to do just perfectly. I'll you know, get the timing right on it and, uh-huh. you know, hitting the chords at the right time. And it, it, It's amazing. People don't understand. You think you just get on the radio and you I do. start talking. But, <laughs> well, yeah, but, but the amount of prep work that you have to do beforehand yeah. um, is really quite amazing sometimes. And, you know, my little half hour I do with you on Wednesday mornings at mm-hmm. 7 a.m. Central Time, um, you know, it takes two or three hours just to get all the data correct and make sure you have the correct data um, mm-hmm. when you go live and report it because, you want, you know, the last thing you want to do is give bad information, which unfortunately yep. I've done in the past when I've tried to wing it, but I think everyone has. Well, you can always make corrections, but, you know, you too. Do. I mean, there's, there's no reason, you know, because uh-huh. I screw up, too, and I go, I'll find things out later. So, you know what I said last week? Well, that's now wrong. I found, you know, subsequent information. This is what it is now. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's, that's, that's perfectly acceptable as far as I'm concerned. Correct. And, you know, and, um, you know, so this week we're going to talk, uh, this Wednesday morning, we're going to talk more about the Senate races across uh-huh. the country uh, because it looks like the Democrats are giving up the House to the Republicans, uh, but they're going to fight hard for the Senate. So it's going to be um, – that's what we're going to focus on, you know, probably the rest of this uh, election cycle and, you know, a couple of the governor races. Um, you know, DeSantis looks like he pretty much has Florida locked up. Uh, Biden pretty much uh, gave him a huge compliment this week, which did not go well with uh, the Chris campaign. So that's going to be pretty <laughs> fun to talk about also. Uh, <laughs> so, and that's a preview of Bill's uh, report, which he snuck in there surreptitiously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, advertising okay. any chance you get. <laughs> uh, which is fine. So, so, the, the, yeah. so you understand how this goes because of the prep. So people don't realize. I, I figure it's about three hours per broadcast hour. So for every hour that I'm on the air, and now we're doing a lot of four-hour shows because we, I found out from, uh, from Lori, a friend of mine, um, Pianchi knows her too, that Blockstack has this extended hour. Now, nobody else can call in, but I'm running three and a half, you know, th- I'm running three hours and 55-minute shows, you know, sometimes now because I've got the extra time, and so why not? 
so it's, it's fascinating, you know, the amount of folks that are there. And people don't take BlockTalk seriously. Uh, they don't realize the potential of this. But the advantage of BlockTalk, which makes this such a, such a great place to be, is that I can say anything I want. I don't have a program director, and this is what I was talking about at the beginning of the show. I don't have some oppressive person telling me no. You know, all my life I've heard no, you know, from parents to bosses to teachers, or parents, teachers, bosses. All through my life, everybody says the same thing to me. No. So the only place I'm happy is a place where, where somebody doesn't say no to me. And the only place that is is where I work for myself. So this is the beauty of being here. The disadvantage, though, is I don't have a station behind me. I don't have a production crew. I don't have a marketing department. I don't have advertising. I don't have any of that stuff. I don't even have a budget. You know, and so it's, it's a struggle here. But this is the one place where you can speak freely as long as you don't. There's just a couple of rules. You know, don't advocate violence. Don't be overtly racist and don't do just like a couple of minor things that's in the contract um, that we have here, and which are fine with me. I mean, there's nothing that I say or do. I mean, I can say Dr. Fascist. We, we have a Nazi, you know, on the show, not on my show, but on, on Blog Talk. You know, he openly advocates, you know, white supremacist stuff. And apparently they're okay with it, which is fine with me. Actually, I think it's good to have him here. Bert, he's been on the show. So it's uh, so it's fine with me how that works. But Bill, how did you find Block Talk? Let's, let's go. I, mean, I might even skip the thing I had planned on who's running the country and save that for another day. Let's just talk about the show. So how did you find this, and 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 how what what possessed you to encourage me to do it? All right. So um, listening to Glenn back a few years ago, when Glenn Beck pulled himself off the air, he's the one who came up with the idea, saying, well, not the idea, but he was the one who's saying that the future is going to be internet radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and he left, he left Fox News. He started The Blaze, uh, which are strictly Internet-based. Um, you know, his TV shows, radio, everything was Internet-based. Of course, he kept a lot of his syndication because he still needed to make money. Uh, and mm-hmm. he knew he was playing – but he was playing the long game with it. Um, it seems like it's paid off. Um, you know, I haven't really looked at the ratings or any viewership uh, to see how The Blaze is doing. Um but, you know, he's still surviving. He's still a, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, maybe not as much as he once was when he was on Fox, but he still is See, that's a force the difference. in this. But he can yeah. say what he wants. Well, so it, it's, it's principle versus profits. They shouldn't be opposed to each other, but a lot of times they are simply because that's the nature of business. If you're going to make the profits and have the network behind you, then the network gets to call a lot of the shots. And so that's the trade-off that you make. Correct. And uh, but you know but he, so he started that so I decided uh, once you went off the air and me and you were king and you you wanted to stay in radio mm-hmm. um, since you have a, a a great space for radio um, we figured <laughs> you know let's go ahead and, <laughs> uh, we figured let's go ahead and get started and let's find out an outlet for you and there's a lot of different ones out there mm-hmm. um, but you know uh, Block Talk Radio actually has. And I did I, I forgot the names, but there's a couple of bigger names that are on Blog Talk Radio that are also on like a, I, it's not a Fox News, but it's like a secondary Fox station. I think it's called like Fox Now or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, where where are there there are some bigger names that I happen to see on this Blog Talk Radio. And I went to Blog Talk Radio. I went to. E Radio or I, I you know I don't remember now. It's been four you know, four years since uh, I mm-hmm. had to look at any of this stuff. Uh, but there was a couple different outlets. But when I went to listenership and saw that Blog Talk Radio really was one of the top Internet radio uh, providers out there, uh, mm-hmm. it, it really made a lot of sense because, yeah. you know, when you're talking about Internet radio and like a Blog Talk Radio, it's not just about your show. 
it's about the fact that people are going to blog talk radio in general uh-huh. and uh, looking at what is out there. And I, and I know that you've received a lot of uh, feedback and listeners just from people scoping out uh, blog talk radio and finding your show that way. So yes, yeah, know, that's and, true. That, it, so it's almost like a network, so that, even though it's it, not, it does help. You know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it definitely helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me get to Priyanka again too. And so when you came to the show, cause you're one of the folks that probably did that. You're looking around for shows on blog talk and you stumbled onto my show and, 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 you know, thank God you stayed because I'm really glad to have you here. Um, but it's, um, and same with Bill for, for, for putting me into this thing because this is the best outlet for me. Uh, until we either create our own website, syndicate, who knows what. But I, I, I'm, I don't know. I might just stick around here for a long time, even if we have 10 million listeners, which will be interesting to see if the computer can handle it. <laughs> we'll find out. Pianki, how did you find my show? Probably from the title and uh, during the time when we was uh, exp- uh, people were experiencing so much cancellation by media sources uh, based on based on the woke attitude. So. I it was what we were what I was experiencing, what I was seeing was going on around me, and your title fit the bill as a solution. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, Action Radio. I now combine Action Radio Citizen Legislature because I want to make sure we distinguish ourselves. There is an Action Radio in Greece. Uh, it's a little FM station, and they broadcast tunes, but they call themselves Action Radio. There's an Action Radio repair shop uh, up in Minnesota. And they call it too. And they've actually been going longer than I have. And so that's why I changed it to the Action Radio Citizen Legislature. So there'd be no disputing what we do. And it really is that combination. And, and so this is what makes us unique in the world is the combination of the Citizen Legislature at writeyourlaws.com. And that's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com, combined with our show here at Blog Talk Radio. And this is the opportunity for people, you know, nowhere else can you do this. You can actually... Uh, Post a bill to writeyourlaws.com. You can call the show with an idea. Uh, or if you do post a bill, I'll probably have you on. And uh, you never know. You might get your own report. And, you know, Amber Kemper is a perfect example of that. She's 18. She's a college student. Uh, she sent me a bill back when she was 17 and had an idea that uh, it'd be a great you know, thing if people who, took, um, who ran for office, uh, we actually know, knew what they knew about government. And so her proposal was that they take the immigration citizenship test. Now, we can't actually require that, as Jim Dykes pointed out. Jim's our, our Friday reporter from uh, Florida, Cary, very strong constitutionalist, so he knows it backwards and forwards, um, that you can't change the eligibility requirements, but it would still be a neat idea to do. So it, just because it doesn't become a law doesn't mean it isn't a bill, you know, a thing that uh, we should require or insist upon or highly encourage our candidates to do and judge them accordingly. But that's, the, you know, well, it's you know, all about Greg, opportunities. Yeah. But great God, I mean, there are requirements for certain positions in government that have certain stipulations. Like you can't be an attorney general without being a, a lawyer. Um, you can't are you be sure? a clerk of court. Yeah, um, you cannot be clerk of court without a. Uh, you can't even file unless you have a law unless you're a lawyer. Is that uh, th- statutory or constitutional? Because you could be on the Supreme Court and not be a lawyer. Correct. Um, that that is um, if you pull up. Uh, um, the eligibility requirements for certain positions, mm-hmm. it, it specifically states right in there what you must be. Um, like for running for judge, you have mm-hmm. to have uh, three years' experience as a lawyer. 
See, now that flies in the face of what Jim says, that the Constitution, they, you know, if for federal office. Now, state offices might be different. States can do that. They can put different eligibility requirements in their Constitution if it's exclusively a state office. The federal government would have no jurisdiction over that. So that would be interesting well, to find out. Yeah. yeah. So, so the question is, are these state offices or federal? Because the federal election requirements, like for representative, for example. So someone wants to run for the House. Uh, it's pretty simple. This is an age requirement, citizen requirement, and that's about it. So the question is, can you add on top of that with federal law? I don't know if you can. It's a, that's, a, that's a great question. It's one of those rare times I'd actually have to consult an attorney and, and find out if that's something, I mean, how it works in practice. I don't know. Yep. So, but I got to go over my dollar for today, but everyone listen uh, to me on uh, Greg on uh, Wednesday morning as we're going to go over all the Senate uh, uh, elections, uh, elections that are coming up here because we're less than one month away. And I will talk to you more on Wednesday, but congratulations on your 1,000th show. Well, thank you very much. And, and let me give you a round of applause for all the things that you have done here. First, should I play the gong again? Oh, is he left? Already? He's left already. Well, you just have to listen to it you know, on the recording here. And that's the other thing I need to do is find my thing faster to play. <laughs> so he earned his, he had to earn his dollar and he took off. He's gone already. That was fast. Wow. Anyway. So, yeah. So any other, any other thousandth show commentary? Where do we go from here, Pianchi? What do you think? Where, where should we go? Is there something I haven't tried? Is there uh, is an idea that you've had that um, we haven't implemented here yet? Any, anything for the future you think we should do? Well, I think you need to work on getting out of the confounds, confines of blog talk radio. Okay. Well, I've looked at, you know, I've tried to get uh, our show syndicated. Well, not syndicated, but I've tried to get it carried by other folks. Uh, Red State Radio, um, I've looked at, you know, try to get the serious folks, Sirius XM, uh, some of the other places I've, I've written, but I don't get a lot of response. And so I guess they want to do their own thing. So I've looked into other venues carrying us. Um, I don't know if I want to go with my, my own website uh, and broadcast that way or maybe do a Spotify thing. If we get big enough, we'll be like Joe Rogan, you know, 60 million listeners. Um, I don't know. Uh, but I think I think it's, that's definitely something to work on. And I've got some some folks, you know, coming on who are going to help us out with that kind of thing, hoping to get a marketing person and, uh, and another producer so that I don't have to do all, all this stuff myself. And I'll have more time to work on content uh, and less time on administrative stuff. And so that's my goal there. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. The more venues, the better. But if Blockstock gets big enough, you know, say, for example, now my goal, I'm trying to get bigger and bigger folks on the show. You know, ultimately, I want President Trump on the show. We get President Trump on the show. And we're very close to that. I've been on with Emerald Robinson of Lindell TV, which means I know those folks and you know, I know her producer. And hopefully we can get Mike Lindell on. We get Mike on, then, you know, he knows Donald Trump. He'll tell you know, Trump about us, hopefully. So we're only a couple of people away from, from Trump. We get Trump on the show, we'll get millions of listeners, you know, because especially if he calls in regularly, you know, like when he feels like it. I mean, ultimately, that's where I'm going. Where the president of the United States feels comfortable just calling us out of the blue. And says, yeah, I like that caller from, you know, uh, Arkansas. I want to talk to that person. I'm like, okay. Well. And I'll, I'll say, you know, Mr. or Ms., you know, so-and-so, you're on with the president. I mean, that's the kind of show I want. That's where I want to go with it. So the most powerful people in the world can talk to just regular citizens and get feedback from each other. And that's never been done. Well, yeah, that's a good idea. The most powerful people, quote-unquote, uh, <laughs> that's back in place there about it, people. Uh, should have conversation with the people that uh, it's an mm-hmm. expectation 
of their actions, their moves. Yeah. Well, get them out of their bubble, certainly. All right. Let me um, play a couple of things real quickly. I've got some very interesting uh, articles here on who's actually running the country. And there's a new person that I found, uh, Martin Armstrong. And he runs a, a website called Armstrong Economics. I've got an article from before the 2020 election and one just recently and talking about uh, who's running the government. We're going to play a couple things real quickly, and I shall, I shall space my, uh, my, my, my advertising and things out a little bit and be back, play a little bit here, a little bit there. We've got Jonathan coming up at the top of the hour, Dorothy after that. And if we run into overtime, then uh, run into overtime. Be back in about two minutes. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. Radio. Dangerously cool. See, I'm playing all the fun things today. <laughs> this is kind of cool. All right, so Armstrong Economics, Martin Armstrong, he wrote this September 22nd of 2020. It says, who will really run the government behind Biden? Now, Pianchi, what I find so fascinating about this, September 22nd is two months before the, the 2020 election. So why is he writing an article, who will really run the government behind Biden? That in itself is curious. Don't you think? Yeah, it does raise the eyebrow for those who would take attention in that direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you know? Why would you write an article? Wouldn't you be writing, you know, of, of who might win and by how much and what your, your perspective is on this whole thing? But no, not him. He actually writes who would run. Now, maybe he's doing it as it, maybe he did one for Trump as well. Um, I didn't find that because I, I was looking for, uh, you know, Brandon information. But uh, I just find it curious that he wrote, you know, I'll see if I can find the other one. But it, it does raise eyebrows. Anyway, he says, Biden without his teleprompter is a disaster. But his vice president let it slip, uh, lets, uh, lets it slip, calling it a Harris administration to together with Joe Biden. Knowing what I know from dealing with Washington, as I have said before, ever since Bush Jr., 
there has been a deliberate intention to seek figure heads only so those behind the scenes get to call the shots. This is fascinating. Yeah, there's another article I had, which I may get to, talking about uh, George Bush the Younger uh, being an idiot. <laughs> you know, not the brightest guy in the world. And basically, Dick Cheney ran the administration. Dick Cheney got us into Iraq. Dick Cheney got us into Afghanistan. Dick Cheney made horrible decisions because he's the old Washington white-haired person. Of course, his daughter, Lynn Cheney, Liz Cheney, excuse me, you know, is just as bad as Dick Cheney, both, you know, globalist, totalitarian, you know, completely outside the Republic people. I mean, the whole permanent war class. I mean, that, he's part of the permanent war class. We always have to be in a war somewhere, spending, you know, trillions of dollars, wasting it and uh, keeping power. But I find it interesting. Did you, I, I didn't vote for Bush. I voted Libertarian those years. And so I'm curious, uh, do you have any, any thoughts on the, the Bush, the Younger administration? Bush the Elder was a CIA whole thing. But uh, what do you think of Bush the Younger and those wars? Did you support those wars at all, Iraq or Afghanistan, even initially? Well, I remember the, the beginning of it all. Some people thought it was the uh, beginning of Armageddon. <clears throat> oh, I heard that term before. Did we have that recently yeah. at a fundraiser? <laughs> it's funny you should mention that. Yeah. But, uh, no, Bush was more traditional, something that you were used to. Mm-hmm. But with the advent of Obama, you went into a, a direction that uh, we were not familiar with. And it required... Uh, certain portions of the population ideology to make compromises, to step back, and uh, then with the you know with the example of the 500 some odd cities that came upon terrorist attack, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen what happened. Now I think it's time that people take the things back and not only uh, put back in place the proper thing, but the federal government itself needs to be put back in its proper perspective. Is totally out of control, and people yeah. have to do that. Yeah, Obama is interesting because he's not the ignorant stooge like uh, George Bush was, following his globalist, you know, family and directions. Obama was incredibly dangerous, and still is. I mean, there's a lot of uh, these articles here that put him in the forefront of, of basically running the administration again. This is his third term. Uh, Obama was a rare combination, you know, of uh, being black, so he had that whole guilt factor. Of, you know, and white people went crazy, like they didn't want to be racist, so they had to vote for Obama. But he also had the, the strong Muslim uh, tradition from his father, which he denied, you know, vehemently. But anybody that knows anything about Islam knows if your father is Muslim, you are, you know, unless you become, I think it's called an apostate and you renounce Islam. And that Absolutely. can have dire consequences. Yeah. So he's Muslim. So we know that. He went to Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim country in the world. And, and so he's got a Muslim indoctrination uh, and he's got a communist indoctrination. So he's got that combination of, of like Iran, a, a theocracy um, of dictatorship and a political dictatorship. So he's got the Muslim theocracy dictatorship combined with the, the Marxist, like I said, the political dictatorship. So basically he comes from an orientation of dictatorship, absolute power. And he's got the advantage of, of, have, of being black and having the guilt trip that goes along with that in this country. So the question is, could a white person have done as much damage as Barack Obama, as a black person did in the presidency? I don't think so, because they wouldn't have the guilt factor. Well, if they were born in the United States, I don't think they would have. If they were somebody (laughs) being transplanted from outside, like Obama was, then, uh, yes, we've seen what happened. And that's my view. 
Yeah. Do you have contacts in Kenya by chance? Because I know you know folks uh, in Ghana and some other in Nigeria, but uh, Kenya still celebrates Obama as their as their, the first you know Kenyan born American president. <laughs> they well, do. I the majority of Kenyans I know, major number of Kenyans I know are here in the states. Uh huh. So. Well, let's, see if they get, you know, get some, let's get some pictures from from back home. Let's, let's see if Nairobi has you know home you know home country of Obama. <laughs> I I'd be fascinated to find out. I mean, this is well, and I had Jer, I had Sheriff Joe Arpaio on the show, you know, the sheriff of Maricopa County, and uh, and he said, you know, this is he he ruled. In fact, this is public knowledge. He ruled that Obama's long form birth certificate was a fraud. You know, so this this is the first, as far as I know, the first time we've had a non citizen. You know, sitting a non-natural born citizen sitting in the presidency. Something else about Obama, too, that I talked about, um, because my experience in, in some ways is similar to his. I grew up in three countries, Canada, Australia and the United States. I was in Canada until I was eight, Australia until I was 12 and the United States, you know, as a teenager. And so I had three different periods of my life from childhood, teen, you know, pre-teen and then here, uh, very formative years. And here's the thing. This is and I absolutely believe that people who are not born in the United States should not be president. My orientation, my allegiance, as much as I love this country, you know, I never absolutely 100% feel a part of it because I've got my Canadian and my Australian sides. And Obama, in the same way, cannot be completely loyal to this country because he's got his Indonesian and his Kenyan and his Muslim and whatever else side he has that will distract him from being a purely American loyal president. You contrast him with Donald Trump, who was born here. Yeah, he's traveled the world. But he was born here. He's American. There's no doubt in your mind that Donald Trump's American. Whereas Obama, you know, he's a citizen of the world. He's got different orientations from, uh, from the, especially from Indonesia. And I don't know where he was before that. But you can't have that kind of a divergent, you know, multinational background and be completely loyal to the United States without, without having kind of, uh, uh, I guess, distraction, diversion. I'm trying to think of the right word. But it's different. You have a term for it. You're not American, 100%. What is, what, what, do you, what is it then? Blood is thicker than water. <laughs> and okay. out of all the Peter Graves episodes of Mission Impossible, mm-hmm. I've never seen nothing come close to what Obama was. In terms of what? I'm curious for the reference. Well, Mission Impossible was a mission that was taken on by the characters that literally was impossible to do. I mean, it'd be like trying to, it's like a KBG episode, uh, James Bond episodes. Okay. And uh, the thing that we've seen come out of his administration and the antics, you know, you never would have thought you would have saw that in the United States. Well, yeah, uh, uh, Obama, well, see, I disagree with Obama for different reasons than most people. Most people fell under the, racist, the, the racial spell. I never had that problem because I grew up in different countries. And, you know, and I, I grew up in a time in Australia where we didn't, there was no concept of race. It was, it, not only did we not think about it, we never heard of it. There, there, I mean, we recognize that people look different in different places in the world, but the whole concept of a race, the fact that black people all have something in common and white people have something in common and Asian folks have something in common, that never occurred to us because we realized there were different African countries. Uh, I didn't know anything about the United States. I mean, I had no idea about the black or the white population here. I didn't know about civil rights. I didn't know about slavery. I didn't know about any of that stuff when I got here. We didn't talk about it. 
I was Canadian Australian. We talked about British history and Canadian Australian history. We talked about World War II. Did you know anything about, about Al Sharpton? No, I didn't hear a thing about him. I didn't know who he was when I got no, here. No. You know? But, but well, see, this part, there is that line yeah. of thinking. Mm-hmm. The line of thinking that a person brings with them, hmm. you always worry how that would evolve into the action. And uh, people have always, I've heard people talk about the, if the tables was reversed. Mm-hmm. And if you had a black president or if the table were reversed between blacks and white, how would it be? And people have uh, made comments on how it would be. And they're starting to see it with some of the verbiage and some of the thoughts, some of the ideology that's coming out of candidates like uh, uh, Corey Bush, for instance. And you see mm-hmm. Maxine Waters now and you see. Yeah, uh, but they, they treat skin color as a culture as an independent unit, as something that identifies you. So I don't care if a president is black. I care about a person that identifies as black first and as president second or third or fourth. That's where the problem comes in. See, the problem with Obama was he didn't identify as an American first. He identified as, you know, as like a Marxist first, as a transformational agent first, as a globalist first. And this is the thing I was saying, because when you grow up in different nations, you can never be 100% of, of one nation. You just can't do it. His loyalty, in fact, was easier for him to fundamentally transform the United States because he was an outsider. He pro- I mean, I don't know how much he considers himself American. I think he does it out of convenience, you know, just like he became Christian after uh, uh, George Stephanopoulos when he said, my Muslim heritage, and, and Stephanopoulos said, you mean you're a Christian heritage? Oh, yes, my Christian heritage. So he doesn't care. He has no loyalty to this country. In fact, it's almost it's advantageous if you want to destroy the United States to pick somebody that doesn't have that 100% loyalty. Well, you have to bring in a person's ethnicity, and along with their mm-hmm. ethnicity comes their cultural makeup because they basically – you know, the United States have been said to be consistent of 11, 11 different countries, the mm-hmm. Yankee-dom, the Southern, the Western, the Northeastern, yeah. the Northwestern. The mm-hmm. southeastern, the southwestern, uh, and it, the central. So in those areas, you have different concepts that people bring uh, to the table in the positions that they find themselves in. So, yes, you were wondering about what Obama would produce. Mm-hmm. We pretty much knew that some of the general aspects and technicalities of a Donald Trump or a George Bush or uh, John F. J. F. K. We pretty much had a great idea on how they would respond. Yeah. But uh, here you got something else, and it proved yeah. to be. So you look at JFK as a Democrat, loved this country, defended us against Russia with the Cuban Missile Crisis. You got FDR, who was a socialist, loved this country, and defended us against Japan and Germany. You got Barack Obama, who's a globalist who I don't think has allegiance to this country. He does not consider himself American first. I don't even think he considers that there is, a, is an American culture. And this is the problem with the left. They don't see an American culture. I do because I was outside it for the first part of my life. So when I, when I came to the United well, States, I actually learned that. about American culture. Go ahead. Well, yeah, he did see and look for that. That's why he went to Reverend Rice Church. He wanted to find out more about mm-hmm. a, particularly, a particular ethnic group that is black in the country. And, yeah. and then you have to subdivide as a whole subdivide them 
because mm-hmm. the people that went to uh, their church would not be going to a black Catholic church. The yeah. message would be different in how it's delivered and the reaction and the emotional aspects that people would take on when they left a sermon. Mm-hmm. But again, it is, are you America first? Or are you something else? John Kennedy was a Catholic. And a lot of people had a problem with that. Well, we don't have the Pope running the United States. So Kennedy made it very clear he's an American first. Yes, he's a Catholic. Yes, he goes to Catholic Church. His family's Irish Catholic. We all know that. But the, but the Pope doesn't rule the United States. They didn't rule him. Whereas Obama is not an American first. He is a Marxist and a Muslim first. And, and it looks like he's controlled by China. Uh, and the, in fact, this will get to some of the other articles here if we have time. We probably won't today. I'm going to pick this up tomorrow. But... Um, but Obama is controlled by George Soros, the Chinese Communist Party, and other forces. He's, he's the tool. He's the, uh, but he's very powerful within the United States, as is some other folks, Susan Rice, Valerie Jarrett, uh, and some other people, uh, Klain, what's his name, the chief of staff. And there's another article here that talks about how all the, the people in the Brandon insurrection are all Obama retreads. You know, three-quarters of the folks working in Washington now in the executive branch are, you know, in the, in the top, in the policymaking positions are Obama people. Obama calls him several times a day. You know, who was in the bunny suit? Well, Don't be surprised he, if Obama was in the bunny suit moving, uh, you know, uh, Biden out of the way. Or maybe it was Jill. You got a different line of thinking from people that are membership of the Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And unless you've been around them and you've been able to study and be around them, you can pick up on the origination of the conversation, the talking points of the conversation that people say. Yes, you have blacks in this country who don't consider themselves Americans. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. You know, that, in other words, well, black yeah. culture or, or Marxist culture. Be, yeah. Or, yeah. Well, and see, but if, well, it's the only problem if you're running for office. See, if somebody wants to be a nation of Islam, I don't care. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll compete with my ideas against your ideas. Not a problem. Not you specifically, but I'm just saying nation of Islam ideas. But the problem is the nation of Islam. And if people from the nation of Islam consider themselves Islam or, is, is, you know, Muslim above American, that Islam, Islamic culture is superior and predominant over American culture, I don't want you running for office. I don't want someone in office that isn't America first, which would take out all the leftists. Because they're leftists first. Their ideology rather than their nationality dominates. And that's, you can't have that in politicians. You cannot maintain your country if people are running based on, they're in office based on their ideology as opposed to their, their nationalism. I want nationalists in the good sense of the word. Well, that's, the that's, up what you're, that's the reality that has to be exists. You got uh, black factions, groups yeah. that uh, is totally, uh, uh, totally against, not totally against, but don't go along with the NOI, Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. have to be able to recognize who it is that you're talking to. And then you don't, have never met them before. You can listen to the things that they say. You can understand probably what books they read, what lecturers yeah. and, uh, that they listened to, and, and, and what part of the country they even attended, they grew up in. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Louis Farrakhan, I agree with him on, on raising up the, the, the life and culture and uh, wealth and power of, of black American citizens. But I disagree with him when he says at the expense of other people. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's OK. You're doing fine. You want to you want to you know, make folks better off. That's great. I've got no problem with that. But as soon as you start doing that at the expense of others. Yeah, we've got an issue. Let me go into this article here, too, because this is fascinating. This is the same guy 
uh, Martin Armstrong. Uh, this is March 15, 2022, so earlier this year. Now, he says, the insanity of the Biden administration, decline and fall of the West. This is a totally different perspective. So now he's seen two years of, of the decline and fall, the fall into communism, Marxism, globalism, permanent war, uh, and uh, absolute economic control by, by wacko environmentalists, leftists, and everything else. He says the Biden administration, and I, I don't use that ever, you know, but I'm saying it because out of convenience with the article, the Biden administration has been fully subordinated to the Great Reset. It is highly debatable if Joe is really doing anything. During an international crisis, he still takes off weekends and heads to Delaware. Gee, perhaps I should run for president and get weekends off instead of having to work seven days a week during a crisis. OMG, you know, oh my God. I never knew I could work less as a leader of the questionable free world given the two years of COVID imprisonment. See, language has changed so much over the last couple of years. It's really interesting. Anyway, he goes on. He says, Biden's pick of Sarah Bloom Raskin for the chair of the Federal Reserve will completely destroy the integrity of the Federal Reserve, yada, yada, yada. Okay. Then he says, installing another climate change zealot is just beyond belief. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> there is no aspect of the economy that the Biden, I'll call it uh, Brandon insurrection, that's better, has not undermined, which he is desperately trying to blame inflation of Putin. From the perspective of China and Russia, they are watching their greatest adversary commit suicide. One does not step in to prevent that, uh, for it becomes an easy victory. Biden is even trying to cut a nuclear deal with Iran, which is leading, ter- which is the leading terrorist nation that was kept at bay by Saddam in Iraq, who was removed. Biden will hand them money, which will only be used against the United States. They will join Russia and China against the West. Make no stupid mistake about that. Um, Remember when Iraq and Iran were fighting? Nobody cared. <laughs> the West didn't care. Henry Kissinger had the best line. He says, the only problem with the Iran-Iraq war is that we can only have one loser. So the more, as long as they were draining each other's resources, I mean, I object to the loss of life. I mean, it was a stupid war. But the thing is, it didn't affect us because they were fighting each other. And as long as Iran and Iraq were occupied with each other, they weren't bothering anybody else. So in that well, respect, that war continued. Not really. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not really. The United States did care about that. If you listen to April Gillespie oh. in her um, conversations with, uh, I believe it was Saddam Hussein, there was mm-hmm. a lot of things that was uh, considered in there between those two. Yes, it was. No, I know what you mean. And the Secretary of State and some of those other folks, yeah. No, but, I mean, we were concerned with it, and they, they talked they talk about the fake weapons of mass destruction and, you know, babies being yanked out of incubators and thrown on the ground by that uh, rather attractive woman who was uh, you know, getting a lot of media attention. Yeah, it was a propaganda war. There was no reason for it. There was no reason for us to go to Iraq. There's no reason for us to go to uh, Afghanistan. There was no reason, quite frankly, for us to go to Vietnam or Korea. You know, or any number of other places. There's no reason for us to have bases around the world after World War II. There's no reason for us to have aircraft carriers. I mean, let's be really controversial. Let's be blunt. Uh, there's no reason for a lot of the things we do, but we're still operating off a 1947 mentality, which I covered in a previous show last week. All right. Back to this article. He says, in all honesty, I have never seen such total propaganda coming from any administration as that of this one. No lie was told by any previous administration, Republican or Democrat, that has ever reached the level of total absurdity as what is coming from Biden and Pelosi. Pelosi actually said that government spending no longer increases the national debt. The only possible way for that to happen is if you stop borrowing and just create money. The end of Keynesian economics, in other words, print money. In Pelosi's words, she actually said, when we're having this discussion, it's important to dispel some of those who say, well, it's the government spending. No, it isn't. Government spending is doing exactly reverse. Reducing the national debt, it is not inflationary. Well, that's just insane. We all know it's insane. Anyway, so 
That's what they're talking about there. And then he says, he says, we are heading into war because this is not just part of the Great Reset to, to recreate another Bretton Woods and default our national debts that have become no longer sustainable. But the biolabs conducting research, this is what Josie talks about, as the neocons claim, were involved in creating bioweapons that genetically target specific ethnic groups. They have collected a lot of DNA samples with all the COVID tests. This is why I never took a COVID test, too, and I won't do ancestry DNA. They can't have it, right? This is, remember, Macron refused a COVID test by Russia. This, Macron was, is the president of France. Uh, this is because they would then have his DNA. Once you have a person's DNA, you can create a disease that is targeted that will kill just that person. You want to talk about targeted murder? Yeah. The biological weapons have advanced... Uh, and that is what Russia and China are concerned about, uh, where the neocons refuse to allow inspections. Anyway, point being that there's a lot of, of stuff, you know, uh, that is happening here. And, of course, he then gets into the Iraq, uh, I mean, the, um, the Ukraine-Russia war. Uh, so he talks about inflation and things like that. Anyway, we're, we're in an insane position right now. You know, what's going on now shouldn't be happening. This is like a parallel universe. This is an alternate reality. None of what's happening now should be happening. Had the law been followed, had Trump be president, we'd be in, in just a, a totally different world. And yet here we are in this alternative universe created well, by the globalists. It, 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 it takes more than just him. Yeah. It takes oh, yeah. more than just him. It takes the people that, that, uh, who are attracted by his ideology and his policies. Mm-hmm. His policies that attracted me because I knew what uh, the need was. But if you just got people that go out and vote and sit on their haunches and watch and see what goes on, then what's the good of it? You can't do yeah. it by yourself. That's true. Yeah, and, it's, and the uh, ones that sitting on their haunches already have what they expect out of, of a Donald Trump. Donald Trump can't do those. And it's like Biden. Biden can't reform police, local police departments. No. You're seeing now what uh, he's promised. His promises are uh, 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 clueless. His promises are winless. They wouldn't blow up a balloon. But you got people that hear that, and because of their ignorance, then they will perform and act out in a certain way, go vote for him, and even they sit back on their haunches and don't do anything. Yeah, there's so many people, I think you're right, that are, that are just accepting information without challenging, without thinking. You know, I want to talk about critical thinking skills, the things where you actually look at something, you know, critically. <laughs> you know, and, and critical has, has two definitions. There's critical skills because they are, you know, it, it's critical for you to think. You know, that's, in other words, the skills that you need to think. Whereas the other, the real definition, the Marxist definition of critical thinking skills is how you can criticize everything. You know, God, country, family, all that kind of stuff. So there's there's the Marxian dialectic at work here that a lot of people don't realize. But they don't look at they don't look for information. They don't care. They they're spoon fed and they accept. But if you look at how many people had to accept a Brandon insurrection in order to get Trump out of office, you had most of the Supreme Court, except for Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas, the only two justices who should be there. You had all the courts under them that refused to look at the evidence. You had all the state legislatures that heard from Jenna Ellis and uh, Rudy Giuliani, the mountains of evidence of vote fraud. You had everybody who's seen, you know, 2,000 mules. You had everybody who's seen the videotapes of the suitcases, you know, these huge, you know, steamer trunks almost, you know, coming out from under desks, scanning fake votes and the truckloads of votes coming in and the mail fraud, you know, from all the, the mail-in ballots and the drop boxes and everything else. You've got all the state uh, 
secretaries of state and governors in these states putting forward branded electors when they know damn well they're frauds. You know, you've got this entire collection, you've got an entire media all cooperating, except for a few outlets, you know, with the branded insurrection. And you've all these things had to conspire together or independently to all reach the same, um, you know, to be on the same side of getting Trump out. But look how many people had to do, look how many institutions and people it took and it's to coordinate all this. That to me is, is, is fascinating of itself. The amount of effort that went into removing Trump and the collective psychology, basically trying to erase his memory and try and change events in people's minds. This is a very sophisticated operation and it's huge. And it's social yeah, media, it's big tech. Big pardon? People were hypnotized by the media. Uh-huh. Every level of media was going after him, whether it's your, <clears throat> whether it's your national broadcast, whether it's your local uh, newspapers, uh, whether it's your foreign newspapers, Daily uh-huh. Mail, and so on and so on and so on. Some of them, they don't hear anything from them. Well, I guess they went by the wayside. But yeah. everybody was going after this man. And then it was it was it was branded into the brains of people, and they took on these uh, type of uh, ideals uh, that uh, you got. It's a conspiracy about elections being being uh, hijacked. But any other time, they would believe in it. Well, because they're being told it's a conspiracy, and they're being told that if you believe it, you're a conspiracy theorist. That's one of the most effective uh, techniques that, uh, of psychological warfare. You know, if you believe in something the media tells you is wrong, then, you, then you're psychologically damaged because you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, what does that, what does that actually mean? Well, a conspiracy is two or more people doing something illegal, and a theorist is someone who uh, you know, takes a hypothesis and a set of evidence and proposes a theory about something, like evolution. You know, like uh, all kinds of different things. So one of the biggest, but, but so a conspiracy theorist the is someone. Weapons. Yeah, but uh, just make the point that conspiracy theorist is someone that realizes that there are two or more people doing something wrong, and they have a theory as to how it's working and what's going on. That's what a conspiracy theorist is. It's not a bad thing. It's just someone who thinks about stuff has proposed a theory based on evidence and hypothesis about people actually committing an illegal act through a conspiracy. So what's the problem with that? But you can't say that because the the. Uh, the, the intention behind saying conspiracy theorist really is you're an idiot. You're a moron. You're dangerous. You shouldn't be around. You shouldn't be thinking what you're thinking because you're thinking stupid things that don't count. So it really, if you look at the words, they're not that bad. But the meaning behind them, and this is why perception is stronger than truth, because people hear the term conspiracy theorist. But if you actually looked at what a conspiracy is and what a theorist is, there's nothing wrong with that. And yet people still feel bad for thinking things that the media tells them they shouldn't be thinking. That's mind control. That's psychological warfare. Well, you know, you got people that's been bred, uh, have been bred in their minds, still in their minds, to have this, <clears throat> this sentiment against uh, blacks versus whites. And I'm going to give you an example. Isn't that yeah, Clarence but, Thomas being color black? Yes, more than that, though. And there's there's a huge problem. Actually, the left has the biggest problems with independent you know, black folks who are, who are not following, you know, the plantation plans or off the reservation. You know, it's, it's a fascinating study that the left hates black Americans who have a mind, who have a brain. Uh, it's, it's really pathological. And they try they talk about, you know, conservatives being racist. We don't care what color a person is. And I'm not even really conservative. I'm much more, you know, constitutional independent. But you look at Trump rallies, you know, conservatives never talk about race first. They do in reaction to the left. The left always talks about race first. Let's bring in Jonathan. 
And so we've got our, our legal report here. Um, we can find out what's going on. Jonathan, feel free to jump in. I was just going to read an article by Wayne Allen Root, which, you know, the origins of uh, who exactly is running the country. And he's got some interesting things. Maybe I'll save that for another day. But Jonathan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? How are you doing? <clears throat> I think you guys are doing fine. Um, <laughs> the, so I don't know if I need to jump in. Um, yeah, Wayne Allen Root is, uh, is who is the other guy like that? Who's, uh, oh shoot, it's real, Victor really Davis good, Hansen. Um, Victor Davis Hansen? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, names. Say, you know, we're thinking, How did I know that? Well, it's funny, it's funny that you think you, you – I mean, it's funny that that you get the same the same answer that that I was trying to think of. Um, yeah, that is weird. The because uh, uh, it's kind of obvi- obvious. He is he is great. So um, yeah, who is running the country? That is a, a very well. What's your theory? Question. Yeah, I might even do this this article. It only takes a couple of minutes, and you might find it interesting. Then we can. Yeah, get into well, I mean, I know we we know yeah. it's not Joe Biden, and, mm-hmm. and and it's not Joe Biden. She's she's just running Joe Biden, um, but. Uh, you know who's who's running the country is is a really interesting. You know, I wonder if you know. Yeah, go ahead. Judicial Watch should probably try to do Freedom of Information Act requests on, you know, who who's uh, who who's is, running the who country. Is, I mean, they can't just ask you know who's running the country, but they could say, right. you know, all documents about this decision or all documents about that decision. They'll probably find that, you know, who's running the country. Anyway, go, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, and, and earlier in the show, we talked about this guy, Martin Armstrong, who has Armstrong Economics, and he was making the point that by design, uh, the presidency has been set up for stooges, you know, especially uh, George Bush the Younger, you know, ever since then, that the real people running the show are the ones behind the scenes, the, the administrators, the bureaucrats, the, uh, and this is intentional. Um, Biden is the most dramatic example of someone who's, who was picked specifically so he couldn't possibly be in charge. It's a really fascinating thing, but this is not new. And uh, like all the folks in, in office now are, are Obama retreads. So let me get this article. It's a town hall. It says, we all know Biden is not in charge. So who is really running the country? The answer will shock you. And this is Wayne Ellen Root, October 9th, 2021. So this is a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. Uh, and he says, I've given dozens of speeches across America in the past month in front of conservative crowds, business leaders, patriots, and Christians. I've told all of them my opinion that uh, I can't even say President Joe Biden. It just it, it leaves a bad taste, right? Let's call him Insurrectionist Joe is a brain-dead zombie puppet capable of knowing the difference between his wife and sister. I'm certain his wife, Jill, feeds him baby food in the White House basement in a mask. I'm sorry, but that's hysterical. The mere fact that he said something that bold a year ago, that's pretty good stuff. He says he should be in 24-7 care nursing home, you know, nursing home care, not in the presidency. He says he should be wearing a sign around his neck saying, hi, I'm Joe. If I get lost, please call my mommy. Oh, let me skip that stuff. Let's get back to the, the good stuff. He says Biden is not running America. Check out poor Joe's press conferences. As soon as his empty mind starts to wander or the press asks him any question more difficult than what is your favorite flavor of ice cream, someone cuts off his microphone. Now, here's what the interesting question. And this is what I'll put to you guys. Who? Who makes that decision? Who gives that order? So remember the rabbit? Remember the Easter bunny that waved him off from the crowd? and made it and forced him to go take a walk away. Who is in the bunny suit? Who do you think is doing this? Any, any insight into uh, White House personnel that are really that are, that cut off the microphones, that direct him, that write the cue cards, that tell him where to stand? Who do you think is doing that? Well, you got the same questions asked, who runs black America? And it's not just one individual because there's segments of, of that particular ethnic group population in the country that mm-hmm. is heavily influenced by certain individuals. 
Jesse Jackson in Chicago, Al Sharpton. You got yeah, but that's uh, different. Uh, I want to. I want to stick with the White House though, because this is because this is the presidency. And well, you got so some of them in the White House. Okay, who's visited? Has Sharpton been to the White House lately? No, you got some people that you could call protégés that have listened to those lessons mm-hmm. that's now in the White House. Well, that's true. Oh, I know they that. No, you're actually right Joy there. Joy Reid, for one. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But I want to. I'm really looking for people that are sitting there, like the producers. Did you ever watch? Uh, uh, what was it? Um, Broadcast News. Remember the the that film? Will Will Hurt and some other folks. Is it Will Hurt? Probably got his name wrong. Anyway, Holly Hunter was in it, and they actually the producers run the show. So the producers run the news show. Mm-hmm. The people, they're, they're news readers, and they're all reading the same thing, apparently, if you've ever seen those multi-screens. But it's the people calling the shots, the camera angles, the, the speeches, who's running the teleprompter, all that kind of stuff. Those are the people I'm trying to find out about. Jonathan, you know Washington. Who, you know, what kind of people are daily in the White House directing, micromanaging all the productions, the press conferences, the, uh, you know, well, the speeches, <clears throat> the UN speeches, things like that? Who's doing that? Well, I mean, I, I don't know his, his his thing there, but but there are <clears throat> there are a lot of the same bad actors from the Obama administration who are staff at the White House, and it would it would have to go it, it would have to be the chief of staff um, who is who is um, causing a lot of these things to happen and getting getting to sign them. So, I mean, I, I mean, I I I don't know that you know. The, First of all, I'm not sure if there's one person, like there's one No, it's not. It's except a group. That, except group. that, and, and I would probably say that, you know, and, I, and I, I say this, and some people, you know, I've had lawyers and, and judges, for example, say that when you use the word corrupt, mm-hmm. um, they assume that means a bag of cash changing hands. I mean, most people in politics think of corrupt as being um, pursuing motives other That's than bribery. legitimate motives. That, yeah. What? Well, that's bribery. But that's, you know, it, 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 hold on, hold on, Pancake. I want, I want to get this corruption thing because it, it's very important. And so, so if it's not money, then what? That's the next question. It, it's 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 using it's using government for something for for an unintended person. Pers- you know, like for example, treating treating a favored group of people differently from an unfavored per, uh, person. Okay. And you know, it doesn't require so corrupt can be not according to its intended purpose or not intended to a legitimate purpose, it does not require that anybody's being paid for it. Because this, this is the same thing I think Rush Limbaugh used to point out a little bit, is mm-hmm. that when you have a whole bunch of people with the same mindset, you know, like in the media, they don't have to ever talk because they automatically all agree with each other. Okay. So when, when something happens in the news, they all, they all can have the same reaction because they've got the same – Agenda. They've got the same mentality. They've had the, you know, the, the same, the same backgrounds. So, um, you know, people who share a certain political agenda don't mm-hmm. need a bag of cash to do what they would, would love to do anyway. You know, so yeah, you know, when, when people talk about corrupt, they don't mean that somebody, you know, in, in, in political sense, they don't mean that somebody's getting paid. They mm-hmm. mean that that the system is being abused. Okay. Um, Jackie? And, you know, for partisan whole, yeah. purposes. I mean, I mean, it could be, it could yeah, be that, but everybody in the legal system will accuse you of accusing them of, of bribery. Mm-hmm. And it, that's, that's not necessarily. So, so, just, so the thing is, is that, you know, the White House has become completely. So I'm going to say that 
I think the White House agenda is up for the highest bidder, not in terms of bags of cash, but when all of the interest groups, you know, call their buddies in the White House and say, you should do this, you should do that. You know, I, I would probably, you know, euphemistically describe the White House staff as, as order takers. It's like, you know, going through the drive through at a fast food window to say, hey, you should do this. Like, oh, sure, well, let's add that to the list uh, and, and get mm-hmm. uh, Biden to sign that. Um, okay. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I'm not sure that the people who are really running the country are in the building at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I think they may be, they may be just taking directions from, from, you know what it is, Jonathan? Yeah, go ahead, Bianchi. You know what it is, Jonathan? It's tantamount to jury selection. Hmm. That's interesting. Tell me more. That's exactly what it is because I would never be on chosen for a jury because the process that a prosecutor and a defense lawyer would go about choosing who's going to be on the jury that's going to adhere to their philosophy. That's how it's done. That actually makes a lot of sense. Jonathan? Yeah, yes. And this is one of the things that even after the Reagan administration, which had a lot of great successes, the conservative movement, um, even during the the administration, developed this cry that personnel is policy. You know, they saw that early on there were people who were in the Reagan administration who were not with us. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One, of the, one is, is the Bushies, is mm-hmm. that the, the Reagan administration was a fusion presidency. Uh, Bush was, you know, self-described liberal. And, <clears throat> and so the Bushies and Nancy's friends and, you know, she was influenced for the wrong reasons and so there was a lot of people in the Reagan administration who were not on Reagan's side. And it became a big, a big rallying cry going on for a long time that if you, choo- if you choose the wrong people, you will get the wrong results. Yeah. And, you know, we've been, and we saw that even Trump did that. Although, I, you know, I, I defend Trump a little bit on that because nobody with experience agreed with Trump. So it's like <laughs> you, could, you could either... If you're going to find somebody who agrees with Trump, actually our agenda that Trump adopted, you know, Trump became a champion of, um, you're going to have to find people with no experience in Washington because the people in Washington with experience in Washington are the problem. So it's a little bit of a unfair criticism of Trump, but Trump, you know, made that mistake for, you know, he, he, um, so it's like, you know, jury selection, as Bianchi said, is how you rig the game. Mm-hmm. You know, or, uh, you know, to to consider another thing, or, you know, it's like picking, it's like jury, it's like, um, uh, oh, what's the word? Dar, 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 judge uh, shopping um, to get a judge yeah. who already agrees with you, and then uh, and then suing about it, and and uh, so so yeah, you 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 game the system in terms of who's on the jury, then it doesn't matter what happens during the trial. Like it's a happening. formality. It's, it's like a campaign. Once the selections are made as to who can actually run, most of the elections are already over. You know that's why the yeah. Republicans they well, put out the, out of the party. Yeah, it's because you don't control the party. You know, you look at the 
Fannie Lou Hamer out of Ooh. Mississippi. And see, Greg, that's another thing. You don't have the advantage. You're at a disadvantage because you don't know these things. You didn't experience them. But yeah. one of the greatest activists out of Mississippi was a black woman by the name of Fannie Lou Hamer. I don't know if Jonathan mm-hmm. knew her or not. And she was an activist during the time of the 60s. And as a matter of fact, it was her activism that partially caused the 1965 Voters' Rights Act, which had to do with registration. Her activist, she formed a party called the Mississippi, these are black people now, the Mississippi Democratic Party. You know why they chose Democrats? Because they never have seen or experienced Republican ideologies. They was taught that Republicans was evil, and not the, not their ideology, but that that a Republican is evil. So, well, here's I a question would, for you though: the the, the South, the the, uh, the Confederacy, was the Democrat Party. Segregation was the Democrat Party. There's such a disconnect with Black Americans that don't know the Ku Klux Klan is a Democrat militant wing, much like Antifa and Black Lives Matter now. So there's the same function. Does anybody teach that the Confederacy spoke, was the Democrat Party? What's that? When she spoke at the 1964 Democratic Convention, mm-hmm. Johnson went in the White House and called a press conference and said it was time to celebrate the anniversary of John F. Kennedy's killing. So all of the news mm. cameras turned off of her so that the nation wouldn't hear her talk. This is a Democratic president that pulled that scheme. So basically what they have been doing is bamboozling large portions, of course it's getting a little bit smaller today, of the black community in order to keep their votes. Yeah, but that's going to change pretty soon, which is fascinating. Kanye West, I want to talk about him too, but I want to get back to our, our topic here is who's actually running things. So I looked up corrupt. I got my online dictionary here, and it says the usual, having or showing a willingness to act dishonestly in return for money. That was Jonathan's first definition. Then it said evil or morally depraved. This is the play can do no harm since its audience is already corrupt. So you can be morally depraved and corrupt. Then it says a uh, uh, text of a computer database or program made unreliable by errors. We talk about computer programs, you know, corrupted, which you can't use them. Uh, they talk about uh, other different things here. Um, but, yeah, but those are the basic ones. So corruption, when I think corruption, I think of anything that has degraded to the point where it's useless. And so if your political society has, has, they no longer represent people, they represent themselves. That is a corrupt organization. Uh, and it has nothing to do with money. I think an ideology, if you put your ideology above your country, if you're not a nationalist, but you're, you're an Islamist the, the, you know, theocracy person, or if you're a Marxist ideologically, you're corrupt. You cannot serve in government because your allegiance is not to the nation and not to the people in it. So that to me is corruption. Uh, comments, and then I want to get back to Wayne Allen Root, who said pretty much what you guys were saying uh, in terms of that this is a group. So anything on corruption? Shall we, or shall we move on? This is a great morning. Well, I mean, well you got socialist. That socialist ideology is just destructive. You got Cori Bush, who's a socialist. Yeah, she's yeah. a. Well, that's, that's what I was saying. Marxist, but basically, a socialist. When she talks about defunding the police, then she say, "No, yeah. I don't mean get rid of the police. I mean take away certain resources that they have and apply them to give them to these people." Yeah, same thing. No, but she's not running the country. Uh, but her ideology might be, Jonathan. 
Well, I mean, language is difficult. In the Bible, it talks about the corruption of um, our flesh, our, our nature, huh. uh, in the, and, and compares it to, you know, to, to meat rotting. Like hmm. salt is supposed to be, it was used when they didn't have refrigeration. That's where celery came from. Of, that's yeah, where celery so, came I mean, from. Corruption, your salt. Yeah. That's right. And like the, uh, <clears throat> so, um, so it's not, you know, so corruption does not, you know, can, can just ma- mainly mean decayed uh, or rotten. And, um, you know, like I say, in the left, if everybody says, well, we all want, you know, you know, we all share an ideology in which we want parents to have less control so the government can have more. You know, they don't need to talk to each other or exchange favors mm-hmm. to all automatically jump on the same bandwagon because they they already they already agree on all these things. It's sort of, so that is know, a form of corruption of of uh, corrupting by putting like-minded people that are destructive of the country together in one place. Let me get back to this here. I want to well, yeah, see if I can finish. You know, go ahead, Pianga. Then I want to see if I can finish this article in the next few minutes. Some corruption, and then actually, some Jonathan's corruption topic. is good. Mm, explain. How is some corruption good? Some corruption is good in order to get things done. It depends on the degree and level of corruption. If you look, uh, trying to get something done, some... I would say motivation. I would say, but of course, you know, when you say corruption, well, you're you got to be motivated to come to work every day. But, but some corruption. corruption is good. It depends on the level of corruption. The way you go about getting uh, things that, like, for instance, the way that you go about getting uh, going into business in the United States, you run into less corruption than you would in another country, like an African country. The corruption is completely off the charts. Yeah, because you got to bribe everybody. I mean, you don't bribe. <laughs> That's the most see here, of the world. See here, yeah. Yeah. you don't have yeah. to bribe workers. You know, over there, if you fill out an application and you wanted mm-hmm. your application to get done fast, you're going to have to pay somebody beyond the fee. Here, you just pay the fee. But you still have to yeah, uh, go through other means to get what you want to derive out of somebody other yeah. than putting money in their pocket, which here is considered bribery. Yeah. I want to I kind of follow that through in a little bit. That's an interesting idea. Does our government work on a, on a different form of bribery, like an ideological currency? But I'll, we'll get to that in a bit. So anyway, so let's get back to the, the article says, who makes the decision? In other words, who cuts off the microphone? Who gives that order? It says, find that guy or group. This is our Wayne Allen Root article. He says, because they are clearly more powerful than the president of the United States. That guy or group, and I tend to think group, like you guys do, is running our country. He says, Joe doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know what he's signing. He's a puppet. He's a wooden dummy. And then it gets interesting. He says, but the real question is, who is the ventriloquist? It says, this is clearly a communist takeover of the United States. I love direct language, right? He says, who is carrying it out? Who is the real power behind the throne? Who is speaking and moving the lips when Biden's mouth opens? Here's my answer. I believe there are three evil groups running the show. I'm going to take these one at a time. Number one, former President Barack Obama is back for his third term to finish the job he started, the destruction of America, American exceptionalism, capitalism, and the great American middle class. Want to hear those? Who agrees or disagrees? Well, not totally. Maybe he has some influence, but he's not totally there. Well, he's not doing the whole thing, but he's one of three groups. So we got the we got Barack Obama, and I would say Barack Obama's associates: Susan Rice, Michelle Obama, Valerie Jarrett, Hillary Clinton. You know, whoever else might be involved in the Democrat, uh, Ron Klain, uh, Rahm Emanuel. Don't let a crisis go to waste. Those folks. 
Podesta, the cabal. And then so you have to Obama look at what position those people you name have. What positions do they have? Then you can get a better understanding. If they claims chief of staff, yeah, claims chief of staff. Susan Rice is running both the domestic policy and the foreign policy. She's like chair of both advisory panels. She's got an amazing amount of power, which is pretty good for a liar from Benghazi uh, on the Benghazi issue. Jonathan, Obama, what do you think his impact is? I mean, I think it's huge. I think he's, you know he is the shadow president. I, I don't know. He, I mean, he, he's arrogant, but the thing is, it's just like with Trump, where if you're going to staff an administration, you have to find people who have some experience. Mm-hmm. Who has, you know, who in the political world has experience? It would, mm-hmm. it would mostly be from the eight years of the Obama administration. So, you know, it, it's a natural, obvious thing. I mean, I, I, I don't know what Obama does all day, uh, but, <clears throat> but um, you know, I think I think – well, he visits the White House when um, when, Bri- when Brandon's not there. I mean, I heard that Chanel Rion let that slip over the weekend. She said the, the, the current rumor is that when uh, Brandon's on vacation, Obama's in the White House. Anybody confirm that? I've just I only heard from one source, but I, I find that very plausible. But I want to get some more confirmation on it. Well, you have to look at what Obama what Obama has to offer. Mm-hmm. What he has to offer is that he has the ear of a certain portion of the population that has been groomed to listen to the messages that he gives. Now, sooner or later, they would mm-hmm. turn him off and he would be useless to the cause. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the cause and who generated the cause? That is the big question. Well, if we take Obama as, as a very persuasive person who speaks well, who uh, you know reads the teleprompter well, who did that whole head back and forth thing, engaging the crowd, um, a lot of people listen to him, and a lot of people believe him. Think he's a wonderful president. A lot of people thought Bill Clinton was a wonderful president because he felt your pain. So, you know, whereas Clinton had the emotional connection, uh, I think Obama had more of the, um, I guess, the ideological, competent. You know, we're going to change America, make it a better connection, which of course is a bunch of BS. But they're both very persuasive people uh, coming from a little different orientations. But it's all about, you know, we'll make your life better, you know, by taking it from somebody else. Uh, it's a very destructive ideology. But well, he's he, he good says at that. that to get the people to vote in a okay. certain uh, vote in a certain pattern. Mm-hmm. The question is, is what is the agenda? See, he's not there just because he 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 he's an eloquent speaker, quote unquote. He's a right skin color and, and those things. Mm-hmm. He's there in order to galvanize a certain segment of the population that goes for, understand, recognize, and accept his sort of swag, if I can put it in a direction. No, that makes sense, yeah. Well, and, and this is where we, you know, I said before that uh, Obama is a combination of an uh, Islamic, Islamic theocracy with a Marxist uh, dictatorship. I mean, that's his philosophy. That's where he comes from. So let's get to number two. So the number two group that Wayne Allen Root thinks is running the country, he says, but make no mistake, Obama isn't the boss. Uh, he says, evil billionaire George Soros is giving Obama his marching orders. In the end, money talks. Soros has all the money in the world, along with a burning passion to destroy America. Obama takes his marching orders from Soros. <laughs> he says, Obama is Soros's little B-word. <laughs> That's pretty direct. I mean, how much impact does George Soros have? I mean, is he buying our destruction? By basically employing all these things. Well, just him, why didn't, if, if that's the slide on the table... Why don't uh-huh. you throw the ant on the table? Just squash it. Why come that haven't been done? Good question. 
Soros is only one person. We could seize his assets, freeze him in this country. We could do all kinds of things. Jonathan? I, I, don't, I don't know, but I think, uh, I, I think you should, I mean, because I don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but I think that um, <clears throat> you have to, I mean, if you're going to look for something, mm-hmm. you, you should consider what would it look like if I saw it. And for Obama, you know, to pull the strings, pretty much all he has to do is call somebody in the White House, like Chief of Staff Ron Klain, and yeah. say, hey, these guys have a policy initiative, uh, and they want uh, Biden to issue an executive order. You should take a meeting. Uh, I mean, that's all that, I mean, and it's, okay, fine, I'll take a meeting, and, uh, and they're, they'll give me their, their draft executive order, and we'll sign it. Um, and, and, and again, what would it look like? I mean, these guys are doing a pretty bad job. I mean, they're putting out policy directives, mm-hmm. but nobody's actually like running the country in terms of getting anything done. I mean, they're, 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 they're like, uh, what's the word? Uh, they're virtue signaling all over the place, and it's But it's not like you're that's doing just, anything well. Yeah, see, that's the scariest thought of all, that nobody's really running the country. That's even worse. Uh, let me get to one little paragraph, and I'm going to skip the rest of the article for now. He says, then we come to the real power behind the throne, the boss of bosses, the capo di tutti, which I'm not sure what that means. It sounds Italian. He says, China and the Chinese Communist Party. Everyone is taking orders from China and the CCP. China bribes all the politicians in America and around the world with billions in offshore bank accounts. We haven't talked about that. That's a new one. Uh, he says, China owns, the Bi- owns Biden and his family. I believe that. China owns virtually the entire leadership of the Democrat Party. I believe that, too. And quite a few established rhino Republicans, too. Well, I know that. It says it's easy to see China as, is the top dog. You'd have to be blind, deaf, or really dumb to not see that. Everything happens in Biden's first 10 months. Oh, everything happening in Biden's first 10 months in office just happens to weaken and divide America while benefiting China. And there's a long list of all the problems we know about. I'll save that for now. But China. Is China the power behind the power? Gentlemen. You remember, uh, Jonathan, the congressperson in Louisiana down, represented New Orleans area, was a black man by the name of Jefferson. And he was taking bribes. I believe he was taking bribes from New, uh, Nigerian business people. And the bribe money he was keeping in his freezer. And you remember he got yep. the people got ran out of New Orleans during the flood. Then he came back in and wanted to check and make sure everything in his freezer was okay. And I think that's how he got caught. It's those sort of things. That's that's amazing. Uh, I didn't know about the about the the hurricane thing, but no, I remember about that. But you know, the way but the way things go, you have to figure that he must have crossed somebody. Well, I think they called him bringing the money out. But the thing is, is is this: why do people? Why do you have certain families? certain recognized families in an area that want to expire to the politics, the big politics, that's, that's the Washington level, is because you have access, you make yourself accessible to those who want to do things in a nefarious way. You know, it's interesting, it reminds me of Europe with uh, the class societies. You know, you had, first of all, you had the royal families in a lot of these countries, but you had the, the, the Medici's, you had uh, the Rothschilds, you know, you had these ruling, the Habsburgs, you got these families in Europe that, that ran various countries for centuries, you know, and then the royal families, like in, in England, the Windsors, the Stuarts, 
you know, the various other folks like that, are, who are our ruling families. I mean, it's, of course, we're a much younger country, but you look now, you've got, in re- not that distant past, the Kennedys, uh, the Bushes, the Clintons, uh, Roosevelt's, you know, I mean, who are our ruling families? The Cheneys, you anyone, know, who are the, uh, who are the big ones? In terms anyone of that builds what we call a foundation, mm-hmm. those are the ones you have to open the eye a little bit more to. But what is the foundation for? Because this, this question for Jonathan. I mean, you're raising a great point. Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, these are all industrial-based. Carnegie Foundation, these are, you know, the, quote, robber barons. You know, there are early industrialists had so much money. Did they do it for tax purposes, or was it to run the country after their company? You know, Jonathan, I'm curious. The whole base of the legal foundation for foundations. Okay, wait a minute. I mean, you understand that there are people who study this, like the Capital Research uh, Center, I think it is, and there are organizations that track all this money and the donations. Of course, huh. those foundations today um, are pursuing uh, agendas that are absolutely contrary to their founders. So oh, that's why I hesitate a little bit. No, no, I'm curious. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, because, like, again, I, I, I mentioned that, and I learned a lot of this from John Quapitz and other people, that, you know, the, the methodology of, of the socialist communist left has always been, as I mentioned, to see who has power and influence and let's infiltrate it like a swarm of termites and take it over. So these, there, there is, I mean, there are people who study the problem of rich people leaving, you know, gullible rich people, stupidly leaving their foundations. And then there's this mission creep in which the board is gradually, you know, because conservatives are dumb and don't, I mean, they're, they're, they're trusting dumb, is what I should say. They're, they're, they're better at policy. They understand the world better than the, than the left, but they're, they're too nice. And um, they, uh, so they don't fight, and the, the left is ruthless. So they gradually turn the board of directors over to more and more um, leftist trustees, um, you know, pushed by the left-wing media, and all these organizations end up pursuing left-wing socialist agendas, which, you know, board. would have their founders, <laughs> um, yeah. it would have their founders spinning in their graves. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but, but yes, I think that those, that originally those organizations did, you know, those, those great men, you know, did try to influence the country, just not in the same direction as, as what's happening today. Um, you know, and they wanted to, it, it's like I had, a, I had a lawyer, we were, t- we were trying to set up an environmental uh, organization, and his theory was is that the worst offenders want, you know, will give money and get, you know, a, a certificate or a lucite block, as Chris Plant says, um, because to cover up the fact that they don't have a good reputation. Um, <clears throat> so all these, all these rich people, I think, you know, wanted to show their, their generosity to charity, not because they're charitable people, but because they're not, um, in, my, in my view. It's because they want to, you know, they want to shine their image. I don't know. I mean, but, but the thing is, is that all these organizations today are, you know, are run by the socialists, 
because and, and and you could say well how and the average person I fear will look at that as whether it's some kind of accidental random uh, random selections like well how could all of these people just randomly end up to be socialists it's not random it's their game plan it's always been their game plan since the 1905 you know communist revolution that failed in Russia leading to 917 this has always been their um, their methodology and that's why I mentioned last last time why you know why why is the FBI that we once admired now so thoroughly corrupt and despicable well, because the haven't they always been that way though sabotage has the FBI huh? always been corrupt? I mean, I, I don't remember a time when the FBI, maybe, you know, during the untouchables, you know, Elliot Ness might have been a decent FBI, well, and even then I'm a suspect. But when were they ever that I would good? Say, They're unconstitutional I would say the anyway. FBI, for example, right. the FBI, for example, I, I know a guy who's, who's, I won't mention, who's yeah, a no. big follower of, of um, history, and he argues mm-hmm. that the FBI oh. has, has named one thing that the FBI has ever actually done. Other than, other than promote itself, uh, but but the thing is, you have you have institutions like the FBI that were at least neutral. They mm-hmm. might have been pursuing self-interested self-promotion and things like that, but they weren't in a fight, you know, to corrupt our country. But but that's why I say that you know. So even institutions that you know, for example, the church, which you know, many churches were just non-combatants in the political world. But, um, and, and there was a resurgence of conservative ideas, but that's after, you know, half a century or more of the left trying to take over churches. And, and, and I mean, that, that, it's the same thing with the churches. The, 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 the socialist left sees churches as just an opportunity to uh, hijack something and turn mm-hmm. it to their purposes. Um, you know, they're, they're like the, the socialists are like the Borg of Star Trek or something, where they they replicate by taking over other. No, that's a good analogy. I've, 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 I've said similar things. No, I think you're absolutely right that they infiltrate everything. Um, you know, black churches too they, they are so much a part of a community, but it depends on who's who's the preacher. You know, look at any of the churches. The churches gave up during COVID. I mean, I, w- I was uh, I was ashamed of what churches were doing and embarrassed for them, you know, and just, you know, hugely upset with the fact that they completely wimped out. You know, they have a duty to speak up and, and be the moral authority, you know, on government. So the separation of church and state is a myth. But there's some every group gets infiltrated. Hollywood, you know, businesses, the whole woke culture. Uh, I was watching, I think Newsmax had a really good special on, on woke America, of how dangerous it is, you know, because now instead of just disagreeing with you, they cancel you. They take away your livelihood. They destroy you. It's not enough to disagree and, and, and you know, use your ideas or, or use different or what they think are better ideas against you. It's all about completely destroying you. And people are now afraid. They're afraid to resist. They're afraid, you know, so the left wins. But we all knew this. We all saw what happened in all these communist countries. All this stuff's been, been, uh, been documented really carefully. And, and who is it? Uh, Cloward Piven? Is it? No, that's a different one. Who is the guy? Leon Skousen. That's what I'm thinking of. Claire Lopez talked about him all the time. You know, Leon Skousen in the 50s said, this is what's going to happen. You know, they, they went exactly to plan, you know, Twilight Zone, Star Trek, you know, these shows that were about freedom, warning us that the future could be pretty dangerous. Aldous Huxley and, uh, um, you know, Brave New World versus uh, 1984 Orwell. Science were all there. Everybody knew this was coming. And yet here it is. What happened? Well, the reason, the reason why that is is because there's always opposites. 
thou electrically opposed opposites, up and down, left and right, cold and hot. Mm-hmm. So if you're running a country that's in a mode of operation that people agree, then mm-hmm. others will come along who's not doing well in the way the present things are and try to make conditions that would help them to aspire to what they want to be. If there was not voter equality where blacks could vote, well, they always could vote. They couldn't register in down in Mississippi. There wouldn't have been a need for an Al Sharpton in them. And then we have seen what they have developed into. So that's what it is. You got a certain Plus standard. Corruption. Somebody else come along and say, "I can't. I'm not performing well on this standard." So we we we're going to create conditions that's going to get people to support us by voting for us to get us in the positions that we want to. Then we're going to make things available through nepotism for other family members. You know, it's interesting. You guys, we were talking corruption earlier. I mean, nothing's been more corrupted than the civil rights movement. You know, you had Martin Luther King, nonviolence, you know, uh, equality, the American dream. You know, we want our spot on the, on the American dream like everybody else to affirmative action, to cancel culture, to Black Lives Matter, to blatant exploitation, to, you know, gangs in the streets robbing, you know, all kinds of stuff and things. You know, it's a, you want, and that's looked upon now as a civil right. Well, you know, we're taken from the man. Yeah. It's okay. You know, it's, it's, everything's been totally, the, the whole civil rights movement's been completely corrupted. Pianchi? You have these factions that exist, mm-hmm. and these factions that got leaders. Oh, my goodness. It's the same thing in the country. Look at the people that's running Libya, the very same people you were fighting in Iraq. Why are they running Libya? Because running Libya, running a government right. that can be used as an um, ally well, brings resources from the Western world. Yeah. Jonathan? But, 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 but uh, you know, because I want people to understand that, you know, if they, like they say, they hear that, you know, the <clears> – <throat> The media is overtaken by communists, or the Democrats are taken over by communists. The average person, like, oh, that's over the top. I mean, yeah, we've been warning you for like 70 years, and everything that the conservatives have warned you about turned out to be true. Uh, and it only got, it only managed to happen because, um, you know, it only, because the people didn't listen. You say, oh, that's that's over the top. No, it's not. But the, but the point is, it's like. If the civil, if the civil rights union and unions and other people have been, uh, I mean, look, look, why does the mafia want to take over unions? Because, like Willie Sutton said, you know, why do why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. Yeah. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that unions are bad. It doesn't mean that the civil rights uh, movement is bad. It mm-hmm. means that that ruthless, um, heart, you know, ruthless, unprincipled um, <clears throat> thugs. Say, look, here's a movement we can hijack. You know, it doesn't mean there's anything yeah. necessarily bad about the organizations that they hijack. The bad is on the is on the hijackers, not the, you know, not the, not the the victims of their hijacking. Where, you're right, Jonathan. Where is Jimmy Hoffa? Where is Morris Shanker? <laughs> Interesting questions. Hey, listen, where is Morris Shanker? I was a team. And who did he represent? Got no problem with unions. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to change things around a little bit. Give Jonathan a chance because we haven't even touched his issues yet. Do you, do you want to answer the Morris Schenker question? I don't even know who that is. Jackie, who is that? Didn't you talk about teachers unions? 
right? Well, well changing should be illegal. I mean, here, here's the thing about one of, Well, you can't, no, it, it, see, that's another thing. They can't be right. illegal, then you would say churches is illegal. You said the Boy no, no, Scouts no. are illegal. No, not, no, totally different things. Now, there was, and this is something I learned recently. In fact, Jonathan, comment on this, and I want to get on to, uh, if we hadn't said Stuart Rose in January 6th, like, update. But John, uh, but, uh, John Kennedy is the one who created uh, federal employee unions with an executive order. I remember the number, 10988. You know, and so what the first thing I'm going to suggest when we start impacting the Trump campaign, which I hope to do soon, uh, is that they need to repeal that executive order. Well, that would take away all the federal employee unions because they shouldn't be able to unionize anyway. They're the yeah, government. Yeah, but teachers' unions are not federal employees. They are local. They are local employees that has a voice for them that the teachers' unions represent. Okay, that's true. Yeah, that's 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 going to be a different thing then. Um, so who so who owns the NEA and and the uh, the other one, Jonathan? Who controls the teachers' unions? Well, they in- I mean, I mean, the, the, those who are down for the struggle. I mean, the uh, you know, the socialists run it. Okay. Um, but they're not they're not federal you know, employees. But, um, it's not a federal employee union, then. See, I, I guess I was I was mistaken because education is local. That's true. Okay, well, we'll work on them next. Uh-huh. Yeah, get rid of the government schools. I'll take care of that. But. Um, just the idea of, of uh, is, it, is it as simple as it looks that if uh, that executive order is repealed, then SAU hold and some on, of the other. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you don't have to get rid of them. It's just schools. All you got to do is give people choice. Yeah. And they would naturally gravitate away from them to well, a certain extent get... where the unions wouldn't exist. Yeah, that's why I want to get away from the government unions. Uh, I will get away from government schools. That's more of the point. Well, anyway, there's, there's some other things I want to talk about. Um, one of the ones uh, here, I think we. And here's a, well, here's a question: Is that uh, our, the whole the whole reason this country was set up is so that nobody would run it? You know, is the whole idea of we the people as we reverse the power from the special interests through the government to the people that uh, the people us writing the laws that we consent to be governed by through the government regulate the special interests. That's kind of where I'm going here. But I, I had a thought. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Other, right. Take a call. Well, thank you. I think Pianchi, I think Jonathan had to call or something. But here's a question I've been thinking of, too, and I want to talk to Jonathan about this. I mentioned it last week. The Strategic Petroleum Reserve, they are dumping that for the sole purpose of doing well in the midterm election. Now, to me, that makes that a political expense. So I'm wondering if we can file a complaint with the Federal Election Commission that either the money, the cost of that, uh, the, any revenue raised from that, from the sales of that, or just the value of that oil that has been dumped onto the market for the sole purpose of uh, lowering the price so that the Democrats will do better in the next election, can that be counted as an election expense and, and charged against the Democrats? Well, people can, it is free at will to try anything that they think is feasible, but mm-hmm. the whole purpose of, of behind it is what you, you nail it on the head. It's, it's, it's because of the politics. Is to uh, create this full supply and demand. If you got a large and uh, you have a large supply, then the demand brings about uh, least cost. If you have a short supply, then the demand brings about a high cost. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're supplying oil to the market, there are several ways to do it. They're only choosing one way. I'm convinced that they're trying to get rid of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to force us into wind and solar. 
Well, yeah, they're doing that, but you see the reaction from Saudi Arabia. Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia probably said, well, hell, you, you, you're doing things to, to lower, uh, force the price of uh, petroleum down in the United States, and but you want us to increase our production, whereas the price would go down the normal way. If mm-hmm. we increase our production, then our income will decrease, and we don't want that because we got things to do too. And now that we're dependent on them for oil, whereas we didn't used to be, we were energy independent. Now we're kind of stuck. So Brandon's releasing 1 million barrels a day. That was supposed to end the end of this month. I guess they're going to keep going because, <clears throat> excuse me, otherwise the price is going to be horrible. But the Saudis and OPEC decided to cut back on 2 million barrels a day. So I don't think that's an accident that they still have enforced a $1 million, a $1 million barrel deficit, uh, despite the fact that we're releasing and it's basically free oil. It's already been paid for. So it doesn't cost us anything to drill it, refine it, and put it out there. It's free oil you know, that has been bought and paid for by, by uh, Trump and our tax dollars. So that's why I think the Saudis are objecting. It's like price dumping. You know, when, when governments will subsidize a product, China, China subsidized steel. So American companies bought steel for their buildings because so Chinese steel was cheaper. Why was it cheaper? Well, because the Chinese government was subsidizing it. They were paying so that the, been going they were on for a long time, too. Well, yeah, yeah. But, First but it was India, that... now it's China. Oh, India was dumping steel too? India was offshore uh, manufacturing steel because they couldn't, manu- they couldn't do that operation on the U.S. territory. Huh. Well, that's interesting. I... Yeah. Oh, Jonathan, the, uh... Go ahead. Okay, fair And, and yeah. see, you talk about Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and uh, Biden... Uh, reserving to the strategic uh, petroleum reserve in order to uh, create a larger supply, which the demand uh, expects to pay less money for. Well, sooner mm-hmm. or later, that's going to run. Well, you're going to be right back to five and six and seven dollars a gallon gasoline. I think they are trying to get rid of it. I think the, the the lefties are so wacko that they figure that if they get rid of the petroleum reserve, then we'll be forced to go to wind and solar. Which are absurd. But here's yeah, the kicking is, point. Yeah. The kicking point is that the states are not doing what they're supposed to do because uh-huh. the federal government uh, issuing uh, leases on state land is a bunch of bull crap. That's yep. backwards. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to get some, well, I'm not going to say who yet, but I've got some uh, interesting uh, guests in mind. And one of the things we're going to talk about is the fact that the states own the land that the federal government is currently illegally occupying and that the, the idea of state leases for oil, they can't do that. The only things the federal government can own by the Constitution are the borders, uh, certain docks and arsenals, and the land under them, and D.C., and that's it. <laughs> you know, D.C. Well, can never be that a state is, either. That's a big issue. That's a big issue. And I, Ooh, um, tell me. Tell me. I am worked on it a little bit, you know, because mm-hmm. the – uh, you know, and I, I, I didn't like follow the Bundys before the mm-hmm. uproar there, um, mm-hmm. or or in detail. But um, Larry Clayman wrote an wrote a lawsuit for the Bundys, which means that I wrote most of it and, and <laughs> under his supervision and stuff. Yeah. And so I interviewed. We had a Zoom meeting with with um, Clive and Bundy and the other people, mm-hmm. and. They had actually done a great deal, um, and, and, and like I say, the movement out there with the uh, what do you call, what did you call it? I forget what this common name of the 
the Bundy Rush Rebellion, or was that something different? <laughs> but my understanding is that it was it was the Bundys did not object to paying grazing fees. Mm-hmm. That they said that it's Nevada, right? Nevada um, did not was not entitled to them because the land didn't belong to Nevada. So everybody tried to say, oh, they were trying to they were trying to graze for free and not pay their grazing fees. It says, no, not true. It says, we just don't believe that the federal government has a legal right to own all that land. Mm-hmm. And um, the only problem with all of that is that um, they uh, they kept. Um, I mean, this has been raised several times. I did. I mean, when I when I drafted something for Larry Clayman, there was a lot to work with. You know, a lot of work had already been done on the topic. So that's why mm-hmm. I'm saying that on the one hand, it, it's, it's a very well-developed topic. Um, on the other hand, it's already been tried and the courts, you know, if I say corrupt, they'll think I'm talking about a bag of cash. Uh, <laughs> they would just simply, you know, they didn't want to rock the boat. Let's put it that way. So they completely court ignored issue, See, I don't think it's a court issue. No, it is. You know, we he, had, tried to go, he tried to take it. He, well, because he tried the to courts to, to do court. it. So the states need to take it. So this is the difference. This is what Pianki talks about a lot of times, too, and I do as well. Now, I don't know if you've heard the show with Dr. Roger Roots, who defended the Bundys. He was on for two hours with me. We talked about this mm-hmm. entire issue. And so uh, just go to uh, any of our episodes, and at the top of it has a search window, and you can pull up the Roger Roots episode. Uh, he was on a couple of, actually played his interview uh, from WEBY. We talked about the Fully Informed Jury Association. I think I did that either last week or the week before. But uh, get the, or even I, I can even look it up right now and, and put, it on, uh, put it on your messenger or put it on your webpage. But that was an incredible conversation. We covered every aspect of that. Have you talked to Roger Roots or would you be interested in doing that? Uh, and, yeah, and maybe no, pursue I have. It or is it, okay. And I, I think he was, he was involved back then. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, Stuart Rhodes and Roger Roots know each other back from those days. Oh, that's interesting. And how, how does Stuart Rhodes <laughs> they, Well, he went out. They, they, the Oath Keepers went out to the to the Bondi standoff. Oh, and, but yes, but for those that don't know, Stuart Rhodes is founder of the Oath Keepers. So we'll get everybody caught up here. Okay, so yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so the um, and that's of course why the Bundy like standoff. The bun, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's why they were looking. You, uh, for. We did find out. I can only say this very carefully, mm-hmm. um, <coughs> but the government disclosed in uh, a couple, a month or a month and a half ago, mm-hmm. that one of the high officials in the Oath Keepers was um, an informant. Um, and again, when we talk about a, a fed, mole? we talk about an informant. We had a, a mole, whatever. It's it's it depends on a lot of situations because we're talking about somebody who was a bona fide, legitimate member of the um, of the oath keep oath keepers, mm-hmm. but um, who um, you know was informing for the for the feds. Nevertheless, even though his you know, he it's not like somebody who joined in order to be part of the government effort. Um, so we have to be careful that it mean it can mean so many different things when you uh-huh. talk about somebody being <clears throat> a, a Fed or a federal informant or operative. You know, they could be an undercover activist. They could just be a spy. They could be any, any all provocateur. Kinds of you know, I've heard that term. Well, yeah, that, yeah like that's what I meant. Provocateur. 
Right. I mean, so it can be, it can mean different things. It could mean people who joined for the sole purpose of spying. But anyway, so we know that one of the top level there people was a fed from the middle of 2020 mm-hmm. during the, so they, they were spying on the Oath Keepers during the, the Antifa and anarchist riots. Oh, so their focus, their focus, and, and, and they went out, you know, some, you, you said that's why they don't like it. I mean, they, they were on their radar screen before the election even happened. Okay. And, <clears throat> and they were more interested in, uh, in the Oath Keepers and others who were defending people from the riots than they were going after the riots. Um, but anyway, so, um, mm-hmm. so the, the Update, point, I mean, yeah. the point being is that the, 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 the idea that I think the worst, I forget what country, which state it is, I think at Nevada, they have up to the, gov- the federal government claims up to 80 percent, I think, of which one of those states, um, but like between 50 percent and 80 percent of the different Western states, that the legal basis for the, go- for the federal government's claim is, is just not, it's, just, it's not, it's laughable. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no basis whatsoever for for the, no. for the, gov- the federal government to own it. You're right. There's no basis for it, but states take the position, well, I'll let them sweep up the streets. It won't cost us. And, you know, another thing on this thing about using the word informant, the proper word is Judas, Judas Iscariot. <laughs> and I think if they were to call yeah. them by that name, more of the common people would get a better idea of who the hell you're talking about and what they're behind. Yeah. We've got a, just a few minutes left before Dorothy gets here, and I wanted to see if we can get a – is there any January 6th update or Stuart Rhodes update or a trial update or anything that you can uh, fill us in on at this time? Well, there's, there, there, there's a ton, and we maybe, maybe do it. I mean, the, uh, um, <clears throat> I mean, the, the thing is yeah. the, 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 the first headline is that the remaining attorneys for the, the, the Oath Keepers that are now – the trial started on the, on the 27th. Um, and uh, it's going to start up again. I guess it's probably in session now again on Monday. Um, the attorneys are weenies. They're going, as I've warned you, they're, yep. they're basically, you know, and, and I've worked with these people for a year. Um, you know, they spent more time names? on Zoom it's a, calls. It's a public trial. So who are these people? Oh, uh, I mean, Julia Haller is for Kelly Meg. She is a great lawyer on paper. You know, there's a difference uh-huh. between somebody who, who can write things um, and, and think up things, and um, someone who can go into court. Judge Maida is knows how to bully her, and he he, he rattles her, and, and she and she gets all flustered and and everything like that in court. Um, you know, David Fisher is okay. Brad Geyer was okay, but now he's turned into a poodle. Um, uh, you know, somehow they they they, they threatened him. I mean, the, the, the attorneys are trying to survive the trial, not to win it. And What do you mean survive? Um, you what, know, what, just, what are they afraid of? Are they, are they being influenced, co-opted, threatened? Are they, are they, is the FBI saying we're going to investigate you if you do this? I mean, what, what's, how, why are these people – are you the calling prosec- a poodle? <laughs> the prosecutor is – prosecutors are threatening everybody how? and to an unconstitutional extent because they're violating huh. the Sixth Amendment right to, to counsel. Um, really, the, the lead prosecutor, Jeff Nessler, should be in jail. 
Um, he certainly should be disbarred because he's violating the, the constitutional rights of these of these defendants, including trying to deliberately prevent them from having lawyers. So that's a violation of the Sixth Amendment. Is this right to all, all January 6th people, or is this just we're talking about uh, Stuart Rhodes or a few people? No, they're pretty much Hill doing it across the board. Right? Hold on one at a time. Yeah, um, they're doing it across the board. And they're, you know, so the thing is, is that I just, there is a, there, and the, the biggest stink is that I told the prosecutors as a courtesy, because this is what we've done in the past when I was on the case, I am going to write about the FBI interview for Officer Harry Dunn. And, you know, the, the lead assistant U.S. attorney who deals with discovery issues mostly, I've got a long record of how they treat numerous documents saying you can talk, you know, if it's under the protective order, you can talk about it, but you can't, you can't post it. And, and then they said that if, if the only reason for keeping it under the protective order is privacy of people, you can redact their names and then there's no, then it's public. And I've got the goods, I've got the receipts, as Steve Bannon says, that that's the issue. So I told them, like, by the way, I'm going to do the same thing with Officer Harry Dunn. Now, the thing about Officer Harry Dunn is that he, he is this, you know, he's the super macho, weepy, crying, poor me cop who, <laughs> um, who decided to make a career out of, um, out of uh, how, you know, how horrible it was and he was traumatized and everything. And Kelly Meggs and Kenneth Harrelson and others, Graydon Young, who's pleaded guilty, admit that he, they came, they, they were going down, I mean, because the French video, who's, which also they're hiding, two and a half hours of a French camera crew, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the government is keeping from the public under a, under a stupid, obscure thing where the news agency says, we don't care, go ahead, you know, Laura Gisweiler. Um, but they obtained it from France under a multilateral treaty, so they're using that as a lie to keep it from the public. It shows the Oath Keepers just going in there like half an hour after everybody else, wandering around. You know, at one point they get in a circle and pray, although that's not on the that's not on the, this particular video, but it but it but it, it corroborates it in, in certain ways. So um, they. Uh, um, they're keeping that from the public. So they then wander down from the rotunda, down the hallway, <clears throat> to the stair going downstairs to the crypt. Remember, the crypt is not really a crypt. It's just column support to the rotunda. And uh, so it's underneath it. So um, Harry Dunn, so, so they come upon some U.S. Capitol Police. And remember that the, um, <laughs> the Oath Keepers are gun enthusiasts. They take lots of training. So when he says that it looked to him like the Capitol Police were like seconds away from pulling the trigger mm-hmm. um, and creating another catastrophe and that, that they were in a shooting crouch and all these things. And so they came, they turned around, stood in front of the Capitol Police with their backs to them, facing down a, a particularly violent subgroup to prevent, you know, telling the, telling the de- Trump, they're probably Antifa undercover, but this particularly violent group that was threatening them, um, that they were, you know, say, you stop, you, you know, de-escalate, you know, do not, we're protecting the Capitol. You know, you know what the rotunda is? It's the center, it's the dead center mm-hmm. of the Capitol. That's, yep, the, that's the place with the, 
Declaration of Independence, and, and that's where the school children and and all the the tourists go, and 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 every you know, and uh, all the lobbyists and some museum-like quality, and so uh, maybe dozens of feet from there, you'd think there'd be a security camera, right? One would think. Um, the government says says no, that we don't have any video of that. Um, so Wait, they survey everything. The, uh, there's, there's what, 12,000 hours or some stupid, I don't know what it is. They've got a ridiculous amount. 14, I got to draw so we'll, we'll get there in a second, but they've got, all, was, these, they've got all the surveillance like in the world. Ago. I mean, is there any place more surveilled right. than the Capitol building? I would tend right. to doubt. So it. they're saying they're playing. I'm Maybe trying the White to get House. congressman to go mm-hmm. and look into it. And, um, okay. um, <clears throat> the, um, so there, so, but the thing is this, it's like, if they help the police, Mm-hmm. You could say, well, that's just a good act. No, it's not a good act. It may, I mean, it's not only a good act. If you, if you don't, if you're going to create an insurrection, do you stop and help the police? I mean, if you, if it's like the 1917 um, communist revolution where they they uh, stormed the Hermitage, mm-hmm. you know, which is the Winter Palace of of the Tsar in Saint Petersburg, and be like. Storming inside the Hermitage, then turning around and helping the palace guards against the mob. <laughs> That's what yeah. happened. Yeah. And and there's an FBI in document where Officer Dunn he sputters like, "Oh, I didn't need any help." Because he sounds like he denies it because he's saying, "I didn't need the help. I had yeah. it under control. I didn't need to be de-escalated. I was calm. I was not upset. You know, it didn't bother me." Um, but yeah, they did it. They, they, the Oath Keepers helped, you know, stood in front of the, us and and blocked the crowd. See, this is the, the whole thing about ideology. And we're going to have to hold up here in just a second because we've got Dorothy here. But the idea of, of America first, I mean, they believe in America first. So it's not government first. And see, the government, I want, I want to explore the idea that the government has become actually a separate entity unto themselves. You know, they're, they're parasites. They feed off our tax dollars and they borrow money and print it. But they've actually become <laughs> a separate entity in our country, that they're not connected to the people, that they're, they believe in themselves and their ideology and their own, you know, force of doing things and they make laws for themselves and they, uh, you know, and them and their lobbyists and the club, as you talked about before, they all agree with each other. So they all associate together and they all lived in this bubble in DC. And you know, I got some more articles I'll cover probably in, in the succeeding days, but that seems to be what's happening. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Oath Keepers are America first, you know, the Constitution first. And that's alien to these people in Washington because they don't care about America. They don't care about the Constitution. So let me get a last comment on that. Let me bring, actually, I'm going to make Dorothy's line. Well, here's now. the thing. But, um, but we've got we to gotta kind of hold this up. We won't kind of, I mean, we'll continue this. This is like an ongoing discussion. Go ahead, Bianca, and then I'll get Jonathan. When, when Jonathan says that there is a denial of certain people there in, in the January 6th to have a lawyer representation. Mm-hmm. Well, then you got to ask, well, was it, well, what did Marcus Garvey deserve lawyers? Did Cassius Clay deserve lawyers? Did, uh, of course. Did uh, Senator McCarthy, Joseph Barr McCarthy, uh, did he deserve lawyers during the McCarthy trial? Absolutely. Everybody deserves a lawyer. Well, let me ask one last question of Jonathan. Habeas corpus. I mean, it seems to me that uh, if I understand this, to have the body, which means you get, you know, if they aren't guilty, you got to kick them out. Unless you have a charge or evidence, you got to kick them out. Why haven't the entire GOP gelding old party, you know, stormed the uh, D.C. jail with writs of habeas corpus and said these people are coming out today? That's one of the greatest failings 
uh, I think, of that party, which makes them absolutely useless to me. Well, Isn't this a perfect attorney, habeas corpus uh, case? And then I'll get to Dorothy. Well, there is no perfect because the standard is extremely high. But, but okay. yeah, it, it could be. <coughs> the um, uh, attorney Joe, <coughs> Joe McBride has filed a habeas mm-hmm. corpus pe- petition for for some people. Most of it's just one person. Most of it, yes. Mo- mo- well, a couple couple of his clients. Most of the okay. people. Um, I mean, it, it's pending. Except I heard that he withdrew it, which I don't understand. Maybe he withdrew mm. it to, to redo it. But okay. um, the uh, um, but you know, mostly. I mean, on the one hand, most of the attorneys are weenies, and and there are not enough of them. They're overworked. There's like you know, most attorneys don't want to get involved in this kind of thing. They, I mean, mm-hmm. you, got, you see attorney advertising um, everywhere. I saw it constantly in Orlando when I was there at CPAC in Florida. And yet we can't find attorneys willing to, to, to defend these guys. Oh, we got legal most foundations people, too. Where are they? Yeah. Hey, they, let's, No, let's, they're, yeah, they're not there either. Yeah. We're trying to, yeah. we're trying to get, but the thing is, so, so basically they're not doing it because they're weenies and because they're overworked and because most attorneys don't deal with this kind of thing. It's like, you know, you scratched my you scratched my BMW. You know, here's an estimate. You know, <laughs> let's uh, let's settle out yeah. of court. I mean, this yeah. this is not the kind of thing that most attorneys have any understanding or experience with. So well, they're trying to deal with this like a routine. You know, slip and fall. I, I <clears throat> you know I was in Publix and I slipped and fall and I you know I broke my shoe. Mm. So where's the next um, deathly the, uh, That's what we need. Is the next crusading lawyer. Hey, let me just hold up for a little bit right. here. I want to get to Dorothy. She's been waiting right. very, very patiently here. Um, but well, I've already marked in my calendar for next Monday. We're going to start with January 6th. We're going to cover all these issues. That'll give you a chance to look into it, catch up on the latest details. I'd love to know who these, these disgusting lawyers are and why we don't have where, – where are the judicial foundations? Where is the equivalent of the ACLU, of the ACLJ? You know, where, is, where are all the conservative – where's Heritage? How come they're not sponsoring lawyers? And there's a million questions for why they're not. The conservatives have completely wimped out and abandoned these people as political prisoners. There's no excuse for it. None. On that note, <laughs> Jonathan, let's do it next week. Unless you want to stick around. Um, but uh, let me play something real quick here and we'll get to uh, Dorothy. Action Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. And now in a completely change of topic, <laughs> although Pianki and Jonathan are still here, uh, you guys can stick around or not. It, it just uh, depends on uh, what you all want to do. A little bit of background noise from somebody. I'm hearing papers rustling in the background, so you might want to mute yourselves if you're not actively engaged. Dorothy, it's been a while. We missed you last week. Welcome back. I know. I missed, I missed you all, too. Uh, and I'm glad to be back. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I good. did. I did appreciate the segue. I think someone called the lawyers weenies, and I thought, well, that's a lovely segue into my segment. Oh, into the sex report? Great, sex and sensuality. Excuse sure. me. I call, I call it the sex yeah. report just because it's funny. <laughs> but you know, so we have the legal report, then the sex report, and you can draw your own conclusions as to similarities or differences. So, what's going on? What's what have you been thinking about? Well, I had a few topics on my mind. I think you and I are on Facebook, and a few things came up. Um, mm-hmm. I did actually choose one of those, but I made a little bit more of a connection with sensuality and sexuality. Okay. So what I, I found a very exciting topic that makes me very happy. Hopefully mm. you feel the same way. Um, compassion, compassion and sexuality. And there's okay. been a lot of research on this, that the attributes of being compassionate and having a compassionate 
relationship with your partner increases sexual satisfaction, partner-related, partner-reported satisfaction, personal satisfaction, um, obviously long-term relationship uh, integrity, et cetera. And, and this may seem like an obvious, but I feel well, like... I don't think there's much compassion hearing... in a one-night stand, for example. So I think you're right. I think you're onto something here. Compassion requires a bunch of components before it exists. It's not automatic. It's not like attraction. Attraction can be immediate. It's... Compassion takes time. Yeah. So compassion can be how you move through life, who you are, right? Or, or it can be something well, that you hold it? in your intimate... Re- mm-hmm. what, is, what is compassion? Empathy would be... Okay. Is a, is a attribute of compassion, um, uh, tolerance, mm-hmm. okay. tolerance to others' differences, um, leniency, lack of rigidity, I guess, when it comes to your personal rules for how the world should be and how others should be, mm-hmm. um, emotional connection and commiseration. So the ability to discuss and connect and see ways that we are similar and, and be able to um, verbally discuss our similarities and our desires and our um, where we want to go with this. Um, accessibility, emotional accessibility, physical accessibility, generosity with your body when it comes to physical compassion, like a relationship that's physical. Um, responsiveness. I mean, I could go on and on. But No, it's interesting yeah. you say that because I've got um, – the, the, my online dictionary says sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings mm. or misfortunes of others. There's nothing, there's nothing central about that. I mean, that's a good mm-hmm. thing to have. I don't think it's wrong, but, you know, but it's, I don't, if you've got an equal partner, if we're talking about sex and sensuality, you're not going to base your attraction or your, you know, your feelings for that person based on compassion. You're not going to base it on pity for their sufferings because that, that, that t- totally takes away from, uh, what we're talking about. I agree that, well, I agree that the definition, the probably the regular definition, like awareness of the suffering of others, right? And, and, and the desire okay. to relieve that suffering. Is that, is that kind of what it's saying? It in is, but then the we get to the Soros and we get a bunch of other things, you know, sympathy, mm-hmm. feeling, uh, empathy, understanding, all the things you said, care, mm-hmm. concern, solicitude, uh, sensitivity, tenderheartedness, uh, mm-hmm. here, warmth, love, brotherly love, uh, uh, tenderness, gentleness, mercy, you, a bunch of different, basically what, what you're saying. But in other words, they expand the definition when it gets to the thesaurus um, as opposed to, um, uh, you know, what we're talking about here. But it's interesting. So compassion to me, just to throw this in here, it really seems like that's a, that's a, a time-based thing. In other words, folks that are attracted, you know, the, the, the one-nighters to the short-term relationship, to the, the, the three-week romances, there's not a lot of compassion. There's not a lot of, uh, there's a whole emotional component that seems to be missing, and yet they can still be attracted and still carry on, but not, a, not at any kind of a deeper level is what it sounds like. What do you mm-hmm. think? So, I, so you're saying short-term relationship, one-night stand versus longer, essentially? Well, you're not going to have compassion. Compassion requires time. That's an essential component. Guess, You're going to have compassion what, for somebody. It, it doesn't for a lot of people. So the first, really? the first psychology of compassion is engagement. So just an awareness and understanding of distress. And I have this conversation. I've had a lot of really interesting tangential conversations this week on this. And it feels uh-huh. like there are people who walk through life in a compassionate manner. They literally are open-hearted service to others energy, we call it. Okay. Service to self. Oh, thank you. So the first... Yeah. Yeah, the first psychology of compassion is engagement. So just an awareness, an understanding of others' experience, 
which is if we go back to attachment parenting, which all this ties together, I can't help but notice, um, uh-huh. the importance of mirroring a child. So we talk about how important it is emotionally for a child to see at least one connected caregiver being able to mirror their experience. So uh, fall and scrape your knee on the sidewalk, a toddler, they immediately look up as they start reacting, they immediately look up for their caregiver and make eye contact, a, a neurotypical child, and they're mm-hmm. looking at the reaction. So now you have a lot of choices as an adult. You know, the natural choice you see an attached parent is they almost mimic the child's face at first, like this sort of, you sort of go into that, oh, kind of face a little bit, yeah? yeah, and then you come down close really quickly and look at it and look at them and maybe say, oh, my goodness, you fell, so you're retelling the story, you hurt your knee, oh, my goodness, give a hug, let's go take care of it, so you've tied up the whole story here, you've, you've connected, right. you've seen their pain, you understand it, they can see on your face, you understand it, they hear your words, and now you're going to show them how to take care of it and, and, and make um, seal up the traumatic experience. I know the word trauma is ever used. I'm happy to use another one, but seal up the experience. Yeah. With it's okay. It fits. It fits. And here's, yes. Here's how we move through it together. And so taking that forward in life, if you've had that kind of experience as a child, which is a normal, healthy experience that children should all have that many are not having, we won't get into that maybe today, but mm-hmm. um, then you're able to, as an adult, okay, I have a partner, whether it's a one night stand that I met at a bar or a long-term relationship when that person has an experience, let's say, let's say it's a one night stand and <clears throat> let's see, they start to take their clothes off and I can see a little bit by the look on their face that they're feeling self-conscious about something. They might even say, if they're emotionally mature, they might even be able to say, hey, I'm sort of self-conscious about my genital size or I have a terrible scar in my abdomen I'm a little shy about. Now, if I'm naturally compassionate, even in a one night stand, I might, I would be able to, oh, I love scars. That's just part of who you are. That means nothing to me. Or let's just have fun and make the best of what we both have. No one's perfect. Like you would meet it from a place of, I know what it's like to feel self-conscious. I'm a human also. And Mm -hmm. I see you for who you are. And I like you for who you are. So again, this is emotional maturity comes into play here also, right? Huge, huge part. Um, But that's compassion, you know, or you can be like, ew, ew, that's gross. I mean, that's a lack well, of compassion. That's, that's horrid. the end of your evening. <laughs> horrid. And that kind yeah. of person goes through life like that, I can guarantee. You know? Yeah. Who you are well, essentially is, is who you are in bed, I think. Say that again. I think you, I was going to probably make that I same think, point. I, I think you like, said it better. Say that again? Yeah, I feel like who you are essentially you bring to the bed. And so when people have bed issues, sexual issues, <laughs> it's right. not just the bedroom. You and I have discussed this before. This is a reflection of who they are and who their partner is and who they are together. And all three of those, um, all the three of those components of the triad needs to come together and overlap in a way that works, right? And What's if one the component of that isn't, well, What's the triad again? who you are as a person, essentially okay. who you are, who your who your partner is as a person, and then who you are together in a relationship, because you can both be fabulous people separately, but in relationship for whatever reason, it ain't working. So that happens a lot, right? It's just not a good fit. So. Do you know, have there been studies? Someone's got a dog. Is that your dog in the background? It is. And I'm, I just actually walked downstairs because I asked, I asked my caregiver, my morning caregiver to please make sure the dogs are well situated. And I guess she thought they were, but it's one not does problem, not it's... feel like she's well situated. So she was feeling <laughs> It's kind of fun, um, actually. Um, but, uh, but here's a question, though. Has, have there been any real studies, uh, people, especially if they're having um, sex issues, you know, 
my partner doesn't, I don't, I don't want to, whatever it yeah. is, I can't, you know, all those kind of things. Have they ever looked into the personality and said, well, what kind of job do you have? And are you happy at work? And, uh, you know, do you manage a uh, hundred people and are you used to, you know, being in, in, in control and in authority? And, uh, you know, I mean, have people, have they ever done that with people that are having issues or, or questions? Said, so, well, let's tell yeah. you, you know, find out about you. Who, who are you? Are you, are you, you know, where are you in life? You know, and what's happened to you? And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just curious because you do this. You talk 100%, to hundred percent, Greg. Great point. Tell me. Yes. Okay. Your tell bedroom, me. what's happening in the bedroom is a mirror and a reflection of your overall happiness, satisfaction, self-esteem in life in general. So if your job stinks and you feel like a drone and you feel like, you know, you're treated badly and like a lower member of society at your job, likely in the bed, you know, it just, it affects your self-esteem. And when your self-esteem is affected, your sexual experience is going to be affected. Right. So is there a agreed. sexual esteem? Has anybody ever put those two words together? <laughs> I don't know that term, but I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. I just made it up. I sexual literally just made it up for sure. Think about it. Sexual what is, what is esteem, your, yeah. well, mm-hmm. what's your sexual esteem? In other words, do you, how do you esteem your, your, that side of you? I mean, I just, I don't know. I just thought of it. That's I mean, it's here. multifactorial <laughs> and it starts in childhood. So, you know, okay. I'm a huge advocate for early, excellent body positive sex ed. We've talked about that before. People don't always understand what that means and they get all kind well, of hyped up and like, explain. don't talk about this with Please. my kids, but great <laughs> sex ed. I mean, mm-hmm. it honestly starts the, the example of the toddler, that mirroring and that, that, that mirroring of my personal human situation and that you mm-hmm. see me and that you care about me and you're going to help me get through this, that starts really young. And then mm. if you talk about sex ed for kindergartners, um, you know, when someone comes to take your toy away, what can you do? You can hold your hand out strong in front of you and say, stop, I don't like that. If someone touches your body in a way you don't like, stop, I don't like that. Um, if, you, if you want something someone else has, how do you wait for it? How do you ask for it? How do you look at someone else's facial expression and know that they're angry or that they're sad? And so all those things are taught in kindergarten, and that's, that's excellent sex ed for the young age. And all those components, as you go up through the years, you, you, meet, mm-hmm. you meet them at the developmental level. You meet kids at the developmental level that they're ready for. And by the time you get high schoolers and college kids, they're ready. I mean, they've done dialoguing. They're ready for about anything that's thrown at them, and they're compassionate, sensitive, connected sexual partners. Um, so In high school? Yeah. Well, in terms of a... <laughs> I, I mean, I would say in well, high school when you're starting to date, so learning how to look at, learning how to hear boundaries, learning how to set boundaries and keep relationships with others while you're setting your boundaries, how to be confident in peer pressure situations. So uh, I, I, there's been a lot of studies on, on high schoolers and sex, and they're just not emotionally mature enough, honestly, for that kind of, I mean, I, this is well, a controversial thing, maybe, but they're really not emotionally mature enough, most, most high schoolers, for a sexual um, like a sexual intercourse type relationship that, that tends to go badly. They tend not to be able to um, handle what yeah. that involves. <laughs> no, I but, understand. Um, Listen, in high school, I, I tried to keep my life simple and, you know, you know, friends were doing it and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I go there. Not that for the simple reason that it, it was overcomplicated and it was, you know, their emotions and you don't even realize it. In fact, after, you know, people I imagine first have sex, they, they, they suddenly discover this entire emotional component they had absolutely no idea about. They thought it was just an act. You just kind of 
did it. And all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I'm feeling things that I never thought I was going to feel before. And then you get either the guilt or the fun or, you know, it was great or it was terrible or all these other things. And uh, I think that's where we have a lot of folks, especially on, on campuses now, you know, where especially like women are accusing guys of date rape just because they had a bad time. You know, where there's some really horrendous things happening out there. But uh, aside from that issue, which we should talk about sometime, but the emotional component, the emotion of sex, that, that's, that's an entire show in itself. That I don't think people realize how strongly this is. And once you're with somebody, you're kind of connected to them for a long time, you know, and uh, whether you know it or not, think it or not. I mean, uh, the worst divorces, the worst, you know, breakups of relationships are people, you know, long-term relationships when they've had tons of sex and all of a sudden that connection disappears. And I think, you know, you look at uh, divorces are horrible. And these are people that loved each other once. What the hell happened? <laughs> When the sex starts to go, that's a reflection of the health of the intimate relationship, the emotional relationship, like you're saying. So it's okay. not that all of a sudden we lose attraction for our partner. It's the little mm-hmm. things day to day. And so you can have a sexual attraction for someone in the get-go, but if there's certain other things are not in place, and I think we've talked about this before, that a woman in particular really needs to feel safe, really right. needs to feel emotionally safe. And trust her lover, trust her partner. He needs to have integrity. Um, and, and there's, a, of course, a spectrum of, of needs when it comes to women. I'm not saying all women need this in extreme. But generally speaking, if you do the, the work and study this and work with women, they need this. And, and when it's not mm. present, I mean, I like to use the P word. I'm not going to. But when it's not present, she ain't having it. And even if the brain says, you know, I want to have great sex in my relationship. Yeah. yeah. Well, even if, but you can use the p word. I just, I, it just sounds weird to me. I don't. I don't know why. But, but the, the sexual yeah. part words just sound weird to me. They just do. They yeah. Sound, you know, well, it's, it's because it's, our uh, society has taken them and done something to them. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Penis but, is a weird word. So, it just so is a her, weird word. Her, it sounds. Well, let's say funny. root chakra. Her root chakra. Her sacred. Right. Her sacred okay. vessel. Her area down there isn't having it. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It has a wisdom of its own. And even if her brain says, you know what, this guy seems trustworthy. You know, it's my husband. I don't have any proof of anything. He makes good money. He's polite to me. Even if all these pieces are in place, all my friends like him. They all say he's a great guy. If something isn't right, if he is hiding something, if he's doing something, if there's mm-hmm. not good emotional connection, and that always will come out later. She may feel like she's crazy for years, but I've heard the story over and over. And then we got divorced and all of it came out. I learned that he was doing this. I learned it. And she knew this area down here, and I use the P word, her, her area, her sexual center knew all along. The brain tried to convince her otherwise. The heart was a little confused back and forth. Sometimes it felt good. He brought flowers. He said all the right things. But that area knows. And so I guess my point is what you were saying is emotional connection. The sex starts mm-hmm. to leave. The sex leaves for a reason. I mean, we are, I, I believe sexuality is more emotional and more, um, more on that space than anything else than it is physical. The physicality, the physical attraction without any emotional connection is very short-lived for most yeah. people. Well, the physical, I mean, your body is wired to do certain things. You know, men's bodies are wired to do certain things. Women's bodies are wired to do certain things that we know. You can be sort of on an automatic pilot, but you're not there. You're not in the experience unless you have not only uh, the emotional, but also the intellectual. You've got to have a brain connection as well as an emotional connection, a spiritual connection. Connection. I think there's like four parts yeah. to this. Unless you have all I of agree. them. You know, I agree with you. Yeah. And not okay. everyone has to have that intellectual. I, I've seen really great relationships mm-hmm. where – she agrees with him on basic tenets of life, moral values, but 
he gets he or she gets their intellectual discussion debate elsewhere and it hmm. works. Hmm. I mean, she respects him. She thinks he's wonderful and he knows all these things. He right. knows she goes to work maybe in this field he doesn't really understand. He thinks it's really cool. He brags about her, but he doesn't really get it. And they're not really maybe talking about, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Uh-huh. But oh, yeah. on the basic values and in the home um, and with the, raising the kids, they see eye to eye, you know, I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, so they can have great sex and and have a great marriage and still have a need for, you know, one have intellectual conversations elsewhere. Well, which gets to the question that, that, and this is something we need to talk about too, that a relationship, Mm -hmm. one person cannot and should not provide those songs. Oh, I want to be your everything. Well, you can't do that. You know, and and, and I think that people make that mistake. Especially younger folks like high school. You're everything to me. Well, I want to be, I don't want to be everything to anybody. So go, go, go with friends, go have fun, go do things, go try things. Just, you know. Yeah, you have to keep your own self. And I think women advise young women to do this. And it's, it's a great advice older women tend to give younger women. Keep your own life because I don't want to be sexist, but I think women tend to do that a little more than men. Have you noticed that young girls? Oh, do I don't know about that. From what I've heard, guys, okay. you know, they give up their friends. They <laughs> give up. They don't go with the guys for beer anymore. They don't do bowling. They don't, uh, they, they, they give up the softball game after work. They do all kinds of things and uh, tend to isolate too. I think that's, I've heard that's why men have more problems after marriage because women maintain friendship networks and things like that better than guys do and the guys really suffer because they put everything into the marriage okay. and family and work and all of a sudden they, they get the divorce they lose the kids you know if, if it's that situation and then they're lost i mean they're lost for a long time you're right in that age group i've heard that i was thinking more like teen girls i tend to see a okay. little bit more than the boys, about teen boys? The boys I've seen the girls a little bit more now. There are teen boys that do that, but I okay. feel like it's when I've seen it. But you're right. When you get a little older, you're right. Yeah. The wife tends to have the social circle. Now, not all the time. We go thinking, uh-huh. oh, I've got, you know, you're right. She tends to create the social circle and it's all like her friends and the husbands have to be friends just because they've introduced them. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, you know, yeah. I remember my, during the, you know, the dark days of my own marriage, it's like, I, I because I put a lot into family and stuff. Um, but as soon as I was uh, separated and divorced, I mean, I went right back to my old friends and said, Hey, I'm back. <laughs> you remember me? And I reestablished Aww. all these connections. Oh, it was hysterical. It was funny. Yeah. Um, That's awesome. I want to make an, uh, I, I they, make an they announcement. Beg mm-hmm. pardon? Go ahead. They took you back. Did they take you back? Oh, absolutely. It, it was like the marriage didn't happen, right. which is another story too. Um, <laughs> it was, it, it was like, cause it, it's like, it, there was like married life and then there was, you know, single life, my life back again. It was very interesting. We can talk about that sometime too. I, I try not to get too personal, but I can't avoid it because that's, that's part of, uh, part of, of, of the story. I think uh, we do have a call on the line. You're calling from a block number, so I'm not taking your call. So this particular show, oh, okay. like you're not on the guest list. You don't get on the show. Oh, this is oh, for no. this particular okay, hold hour. On. Hold on. I think, I think we can take that call. I think I know who it is. Um, um, I'll tell you what. Uh, let me text check. me. You know, well, oh, I can't because it's a block number. Uh, t- have them call back from a regular number. Oh, you number. can't even take it. Okay. No, I'm not going to take a non-block number. But we've had, we've had issues before on this show with people calling in because we talk about sex. Yeah. Because it's so, so exciting and anymore. fun. And they, so they get all stimulated the and they can't control themselves. Uh, no kidding. But why <laughs> this hour? They don't call Jonathan. And give him, you know, obscene calls. You know, how come? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so I know. Who's but you, they do. Well, excited it's, it's, about it's, this show. But, yeah. okay, that's It's okay. your voice, too. Yeah. So, I can't, so if anybody wants to call, first of all, the best thing to do is to talk to Dorothy ahead of time, if you know her, and, and get me the number ahead of time so I know who it is. Or uh, go, to the, go to the live chat and uh, make a really good case for why we should take your call. 
Uh, but I can't take this one because it's a block number. I'm not going to do that. I don't know if I would, we've had experience with those before. All right, let me talk about something different. You said you talk about women. Wait, with, hold on. Hold on. Let me sorry. ask you. You can't take it or, or oh, I can. You literally I won't. I won't. Well, this one. Good. Well, okay. So she's actually telling me. Oh, she is. Okay, I'm calling right let now. Me, yeah. right, I'm going to take myself off the, uh, ah. the, uh, the thing. I'm going to go into the screening room so, it's, so you guys can talk. So if you want to do like a, a monologue for a minute. I, I, I've never done this before. I want to see if it works. I'm going to leave the show so you can tell me if I'm. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so I'm going to go to the screening room. We have a, this is where I'm going to get a producer to see when we get our call screener. Very they're going to take care of all But you're stuff. no longer on the call? No, I am now. I'm going to be gone, you know, uh, you know, count to five, I'll be gone. And then I'll be back about 30 seconds okay. later. Anyway, be right back. All right, caller, can you hear me? All right, Greg is in the screening room. Caller, can you hear me? Hmm. I can hear you. We have a... Okay, I don't believe this is the caller I was expecting. No, this is uh, Pianchi. I'm just listening oh, to the conversation. Hi. Okay, Pianchi can you? hear me, but I'm good. How are you? Oh, we we just uh, moseying along. Yeah. Hey, I just found out I can screen calls. <laughs> I had no idea. It works. <laughs> That's awesome. well, I had it with you guys that I trust on the show to be able to do that. Vanessa, welcome to Action Radio. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Do you guys know Hi, each other, Vanessa. Dorothy? I I believe I know Vanessa casually, very casually, maybe from social media. Okay. A little bit. How right. are you today? Well, I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Do you so have a question or you? comment? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just wanted to call in because I think this conversation is really interesting. Um, mm. You know, a couple things with regard to compassion. I don't, I don't, Dorothy, I kind of agree with you. I don't think compassion is uh, a, a thing that has to be built over time. I think that you're either a compassionate human being or, no, that was my contention. or not. That if you're going to yeah. have compassion in a relationship, I, I it has think, to be built I over think time. It, yeah. Well, I think compassion might even be the wrong word. I think, uh, hmm. you know, it's like the difference between the two words sympathy and empathy, right? Sympathy is like you see a dog on the side of the road and you're like, oh, my God, I feel so bad for that dog, that poor dog, and then you go about your day. Empathy is more like connecting with that being like, oh, my God, that dog must be suffering. He must be so scared. He must feel so lonely. So I think in relationships, Empathy is a really important thing to have, I think, for all the points that Dorothy brought up. But, you know, Dorothy, you touched on something that I think is is really relevant that I think a lot of people don't realize is is so important, and that is uh, emotional maturity. And I, mm-hmm. I can tell you from my own experience, just as how it relates to, like, a healthy sexual relationship, um, you know, I've dated guys of all ages, and um, my last most serious relationship was with a guy that I really didn't expect to get into a relationship with. It just kind of oddly happened, but he was 18 years younger. How does it happen? How does it happen? I'm curious now, if you don't mind sharing that. How do you have a relationship you didn't expect? How how does one get into that? And then she said 18 years younger. We're going to talk about that too. But I'm I'm always curious of of the unplanned things that appear to be planned, but they're really not. But, but, or is that something you tell yourself or is that something that, that, uh, I mean, 
you, ha- you have to engage actively to have a relationship, then how can it, how did it sort of fall in and be unplanned? I'm, I'm curious. That okay. to me seems if a contradiction. Really Not accusing, really but I'm just I'm just curious how that how that actually works. Okay. <laughs> so the true story <laughs> is that. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Um, You're on the right show. At, he worked at. Um, like a little shop where I would get my coffee every morning. Okay, no names. We will keep the, keep them out of this until. No names, know. no names. Okay, good. And, yeah, just make sure. And you know, or places, over the course, or, or like company names. No, we'll no, just... no, 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 no. Okay, good. Not necessary. Okay. So over the course of over the course of maybe eight months, I <laughs> go in there and get my coffee every morning, and we just started chatting, and he was really nice, and he was really friendly, and um, kind of flirty, and I was like, oh, he's cute, but he's you know so young. This is crazy. And then I guess one day I just realized, wow, I kind of like him. And <laughs> I uh, went to a little restaurant kind of very close to where he works one day. And I was like, hey, if you want to you know, continue that conversation, I reached out. So I guess I would be aggressive in this. But I was like, hey, if you want to continue that conversation, I'm going to be at such and such and such and such. Oh. And so he came over and we started talking. And the funny thing is that he grew up in a very religious household. He grew up in a very, very religious household. Mm-hmm. Um, went to Bible study and the whole work. And so me, I guess on some level, was like, oh, this is going to be fun. I can corrupt him. Um, <laughs> but This is um, fascinating. I'm really, I'm really, <laughs> first of all, thank you for sharing this. This is great. I can't wait for Dorothy's reaction. Well, so, what is it about, kind, was it the fact that he was younger, <laughs> a different, you know, orientation being almost a different generation? I mean, like I say, I think this is fascinating. Um, you know, but, uh, or was it this individual? So it was, or all of the above? What was, what was the attraction? I, I, I definitely think it was this individual because I felt okay. like I was connecting with him on a deeper level than just physically because physically he wasn't really what I would typically go for. Okay. Um, That's interesting. In but intellect- okay. But intellectually he was. And so I do consider myself to be a bit of a sapiosexual. So, you uh, know, who? the fact that. Is this a new word? A sapio- you say? What's that? A sapiosexual. It's someone that's turned on by someone who's really intelligent. Mm-hmm. So like intelligent conversation. You can Google it. It's a real word. <laughs> no, I, I, I was just thinking of me because I love intelligent people. You know, especially intelli- I love intelligent Agreed. women. Yeah. I mean, the more intelligent women I can talk to, the happier I am. It's just, I don't know why. Yeah. Exactly. So you're, and you're a, sapio, you're a sapiosexual, Greg. Now you know. Oh, well, sure. I didn't know there's a word for it. <laughs> Who knew? There is an actual word for it. No, yeah, because, okay. you know, like, listen, anyone can go out and, like, hook up with some hot person, hot young person, but if they're dumb as a stump, you lose interest really quickly, right? Yep. So, Unless um, you have two people where you have, like, a, a young person who's very physical and, a, and an older person that you talk to or, like, an equal age person. Right. But, or then, if but then eventually like, that but eventually that imbalance is going to get old. Right. I think so. It does. It does. Unless it's like at the foundation of the relationship and it's like agreed upon and it's just the way it is because some people have male or female role models that are dumb as a skunk, but super sweet, super giving. Super... No, and it really and it meets their needs and it meets their needs. But I agree with you. Generally speaking, especially now in modern times where we all have ability, most of us have ability to get a good education, right? We have an expectation that we can have a conversation that's 
what you think of Vanessa's uh, relationship here. I think it's quite fascinating. I'm um, loving the what, whole story, and I want to hear the rest of it. Okay. Vanessa? Well, you know, it's interesting She's laughing. to say that. Um, you don't feel guilty No, I have this, a friend, which, 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 to your point, I think is something that, you know, could be considered. But I have a friend that's a uh, psychologist, and she explained to me once when this all started, she's like, you know, it's a beauty and power exchange. She said what happens often is women use their youth and beauty in exchange for a man's power and wealth. And she okay. said what happens is women, as women get older, which is why you see a lot of older wealthy men with younger women, and she said, mm-hmm. but as women get older and, and become more um, uh, successful in their careers, then there's a slip that happens where you see these young, beautiful men exchanging their mm-hmm. youth and beauty for a woman's, an older woman's wealth and power, mm-hmm. which is why yes. some, men, some men are very attracted to older women. That's just what they like. Mm-hmm. So this person in particular that I was in a relationship, I ended up being in a relationship with him for two years. And then unfortunately we broke up because of, because of other situations. But just with regard to as it relates to sex, this guy, despite the fact that he was 18 years younger than me, was probably the most emotionally mature person that I've ever dated. And I think through his emotional maturity and his ability to clearly articulate his feelings, and to be empathetic to my feelings and my fears, because I have huge trust issues because, you know, I've had three even guys cheat on me that I've walked in on. That's another whole story. Oh, wow. But because... That's another show topic. So, yeah, exactly. not, not to... Because, because, well, you know, in other words, if, if three guys did this, then I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's like those of us who grew up with narcissists, broken. parents meet <laughs> narcissist partners. And until mm-hmm. we realize the pattern, well, they go, exactly oh, I'm not doing happens. that anymore. You know, so that's, so no, that's, that's exactly question. what happened. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Okay. So, you know, obviously I had major trust issues. And because this guy was so emotionally mature, he was capable mm-hmm. of meeting me at that place and kind of, you know, quelling What does that look like? like? What does emotional fears. maturity look like? You know, I think it's about, you know, and I'll say I'm, I, I guess I'm kind of consider myself a bit of an alpha female. And, um, you know, I start my stupid self-sabotaging shit. And, excuse me, I didn't need to start. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I start my Everybody's stupid self-sabotaging. One, one, um, one bomb, and then we're just sort <laughs> start, of, you know, okay. That's in. all right. Yeah, you're fine. Um, <laughs> It'll be podcast forever. Don't worry self- about it. Uh, it's not the wonderful. the callers last week, so we, we, can, we have a high tolerance now, don't we, Greg? Yeah, we do. Well, and, and it actually, it happens. <laughs> a lot of people get uh, emotional on the show, and, and they do drop you know, f bombs and you know s bombs and things. And it's okay. You know, we're not regulated by the FCC. I just like to keep the dialogue, <laughs> you know, different. You know, because oh, I, I don't. Apologize. Uh, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Don't apologize. No, 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 no don't worry about. It. Hey, listen. Continue actually, on. that's an indication of great emotional content. So f- please continue. Yeah. Actually, it's been proven that people that curse more are more intelligent. So there you go. <laughs> Love that's it. That's what I've heard. Yeah, so I curse off the air. So there you go. just to keep just to demonstrate um, my intelligence. Yeah. So, <laughs> so to answer so, your question, I think that yeah. he just met me at that place when he started to sense that I was either doing my typical self sabotaging stuff or uh-huh. I. But wait a minute. You know. You're an alpha was, female. You've already you told me that you're a take charge person. You you direct things. You run things. How do you mm-hmm. how do you contrast that with with self sabotage? 
Because I think it's a trust thing, right? So okay. there's really only two emotions. I think there's really only two emotions, and all of those emotions are based off of two. There's love and there's fear. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I had this great, I had this great fear. I had this great fear. And I realized that this guy probably came into my life to break down those walls. I hadn't been in a relationship for many, many years because of this huge fear and because of, you know, a, a, a devastating heartbreak. Um, yeah. And so I think he just, it sounds so like movie and goofy, but he just saw me. Like he knew how to handle me when he saw particular emotional reactions or emotional like things that I was bringing up, he knew how to question what was going on inside of me. And, you know, I think that takes someone that's emotionally mature to be able to step outside of themselves and be like, what's going on with me right now? Hmm. Did he handle you by not handling you? I mean, equal age men might, uh, you know, want equal. Okay. Um, is the fact that he's younger, no, and, and, and he appear, fact, go ahead. I'll ask my next question. In fact, when I, when I would, you know, do my typical thing of like not answering text messages and not answering phone calls because I was cranky, you know, he would come to me and be like, let's talk about this. Like, don't disappear on me. Let's talk about this. And I was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was unafraid to be that, vulnerable. He was, he was able to be vulnerable with you. Yeah, and I think the mm-hmm. fact that he was able to be so present and emotionally mature, and no matter what I was going through emotionally, like he he supported that process in me. That, in and of itself, created this huge trust in this person. And because I had this huge trust in my person, when it came to sex, I feel like I was really able to because I had this massive trust for him. Well, it's a continuation of trust. What Dorothy was saying earlier in the show, that if you trust in the relationship, trusting in sex is like a natural continuation. Dorothy? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I think because I had this huge level of trust for him, I was really able to kind of just let go. And, you know, quite honestly, it was the best sex I've ever had in my life. Like, You felt (laughs) safe. Your heart felt safe. I feel like your heart felt safe. Your brain felt safe. And your your sexual center felt safe intuitively, and so you can let yourself go, and you can be a hundred percent with this person. A hundred percent, yep. I love it. Great story. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you okay, more for uh, doing what you do. Well, yeah. Well, let's let's ask him if Vanessa has more time because I'm interested in is that a relationship that sort of contrasted that where, look, everything was in place on paper but there wasn't an emotional safety or connection or feeling of, I'm going to use the word compassion, mutual compassion. It's really the same thing. And, uh, and if that maybe had the opposite effect, like you couldn't, Oh yeah. Couldn't have a great sexual relationship. hundred percent. No. And I'll I'll, I'll tell you honestly, like most of my relationships previous to this one, there was always this issue of trust and I don't ever feel like I was fully able to let go. And to be completely honest with you, like, I didn't know anyone was capable of having like such intense and so many orgasms. <laughs> like I, I never knew before this guy. Like I, I just didn't know that was even possible. And so, would, so would you say that was his physical skill, his techniques, or your ability to be a hundred percent feeling safe with him, or a combination? And maybe his 
I mean, I'm going to say this. What the research shows is that the higher the compassion level in the individual and in the relationship, they usually they're more skilled sexually technically because they tend to have something I call body empathy, but they can actually kind of almost sense how it feels to your body and be picking up on cues really like um, subtle cues when you have pleasure. Yeah. I'd say that's true. And, you know, just, yeah, like very attentive to what was going on at any given moment. Mm -hmm. And caring about it and wanting it to be really good for you. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So awesome. You're so happy. So did you say the relationship ended because of stuff or uh, you guys still together? Yeah, it did. I'm sorry. It was a mutual thing. It was a mutual thing. I mean, the age difference did come into play, right? We were just at two different chapters. Well, that was my lives. question. We still, yeah. yeah. I mean, we still love each other. We care for each other greatly. But, you know, I couldn't give him what a typical person his age wanted to be doing, you know, hanging out and ordering a pizza and, you know, being able well, to Well, that was my question earlier. Hot the, because I have a the child. The differences so. between you, you know, you know, because 20 years, well, let's just say 20 just for the sake of easy argument, that's yeah. almost a generation. That's a huge difference. You had right. different music in school. You know, there are different things in, in right. world history going on. I mean, everything is different. Um, my, one of the questions I was thinking earlier, did the fact that they were that much younger make them appear harmless enough that, well, not harmless, but uh, mm. non-threatening? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, I'm not because, a predator. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm just no, 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 oh my God, I'm not a predator. In, <laughs> no, no I know that. Well, I was gonna, like we're going to get to that point, relaxation. too. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you, but in you, other words, is there something? Okay, go ahead. No, no, no. no. Just, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I, I was just agreeing with what you're saying. The line of thinking. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, we, we, we all talk at once and over each other on this show constantly. It's just because nothing's scripted here. So it just, that just happens. Uh, but I was thinking that because they were so different from you and, and, and so much younger, that initially you, you might think, I can trust this person more. I don't have to be on guard as much. They don't, they don't have the life experience I have. You know? so, so maybe there was something trusting because they were younger. You think that made a difference? Well, I... That's interesting. Um, I, I do think the fact that, you know, he was homeschooled and grew up in a very religious family made me feel like he was probably a good guy, um, which I do think the foundational stuff definitely contributed to that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, he wasn't okay. a wealthy businessman, and but, that can but be I, kind of intimidating. But I think... But I think I do think he was kind of an old soul too, you know, like he liked some of the same music that I did. And um, I do think he was a bit of an old soul, but I also think that despite his age, his emotional maturity, like there was never a time when I felt the age difference, if that makes sense. So it really wasn't a factor. Yeah. Well, what, what did you, what did he it feel? Wasn't a I mean, I'm kind of curious how he felt with somebody who was 18 years older. Um, was this something that, Hey, I, I got somebody mature, more mature than me. This is great. You know, I mean, or did he just, I mean, what did, what did you give to him? Like, listen, I don't know what he was telling his friends, <laughs> you know? What's that now? but I don't know what he was telling his friends, but he never mm-hmm. acted like that with me. No, well, I'm guessing you had such a wonderful sexual experience. He probably did too. I mean, you, you, it wouldn't have lasted that long. I mean, you're describing a very unique, high-level sexual experience and connection. So my guess is he had that also. Um, and you know, we know that does tend to work. A woman, a 20 years older than a man, sexually, that tends to be a really great match hormonally. <laughs> Why is that? True. 
Well, his testosterone level's high, and women right. tend to start shifting towards more testosterone in the mid-30s and just become a little more androgynous. And I don't want that to sound bad, but more they come in. They're still in their feminine, but they come into a little bit more of their self-confidence, their willingness to initiate sex, um, their ability to sink into the sexual experience with higher self-esteem and let themselves go. So, you know. See, this is interesting because most of the women I met in my 20s were in their 30s. And for me, they were just nicer. I mean, women in their 20s are selfish and obnoxious and, you know, want the status and all kinds of things that I just wasn't into. And the, the women in their 30s, were, they'd gotten, they'd sort of gotten beyond that kind of stuff. And there was generally mm-hmm. nicer people. And, and so that Emotional made sense maturity. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about emotional maturity again. Yeah. But I was incredibly, well, I was, in my background, which we'll talk about sometime, I was emotionally a basket case for, for most of my early life, simply because of the horrendous situation I grew up in, uh, of complete, mm-hmm. you know, non-security, totally threatened, you know, emotional abuse. And we'll, we'll talk about that someday, too. Um, something was mentioned earlier, before Vanessa got on the line here, you were talking about uh, how women have to feel safe, you know, before they'll even have sex. And that the, the body parts don't work unless, you know, and I'm wondering for this point I want to bring up, Vanessa, you can sort of say this to uh, get in this conversation as well, that for guys, you know, don't they have to feel safe also? And as much as our, our no. bodies are on automatic pilot, no. there's a certain, there's a mental override <laughs> that says, I don't want to be with this person. I think well, I should because, not, you know, date night, you know, I mean, how does it work? What, how, what's guy respect- psychology? I think pardon? we have a spectrum here. I think we have a spectrum here. I don't think we can say all guys and, and no guys. I think there's a, a spectrum because we have the spectrum of masculine and feminine energy, right? Right. So we can talk right. about men and women biologically, and we can talk about masculine and feminine energy. Mm-hmm. But most of the men I've talked to absolutely say unequivocally they can have a sexual act that gives them sexual release. They can orgasm. They can have a decent time, a good time even, without being emotionally connected at all or even respecting the woman. And yeah. the idea of safety doesn't really even come into play. Most women I know, not mm-hmm. that they can't have one-night stands, but that they need some level of feeling, you know, appreciated, beautiful, that they're, you know, nonviolent, that kind of thing, you know. Go ahead. So can guys have sex with women they don't like? I or know they like... can. Oh, okay. Just curious. Maybe because of such a mental, yeah. emotional guy that's it. just, you know, yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, maybe so, not all. Listen, but, again, I don't know, like the stereotype. There's, there's also, you know, hoes in both genders. So. <laughs> well, see, what I'm, what I'm sort of warning about, too, is like the, like with guys, is the big Viagra push. And, you know, well, you know, all, and all of a sudden men at this, after a certain age can't do anything. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is interesting. Where, where is this all coming from? And I'm wondering if, if guys are making better choices in their own life and they're wanting some kind of emotional connection too and that maybe they're meeting yeah. women that, that aren't that way and they think well because i'm a guy i'm supposed to be able to do it you know 24 7 and maybe mentally they're thinking yeah i'm making choices here i think there's i think this is i don't know i'm going to kind of explore this topic a little more because i think well as men um, yeah. that there's something missing in male psychology because we assume that men can do it will do it anytime any place you know for whatever reason if there's a if there's a willing woman and so i don't I think guys, as we get older, I'm not seeing myself getting older. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm making choices, you know, all kinds of choices. And it's, well, it's as quite guys fascinating. Get older, as guys get older, they do move into their feminine energy more. So in the 40s, mid-40s, by the time you have a man who's in his mid-40s, and again, this is a generalization. I don't want to say every single guy. He's tending mm-hmm. to move a little bit more into wanting what you're talking about, wanting an mm-hmm. emotional security, wanting that connection. He, he becomes, and I hate to say it this way, I don't want to, but he becomes a little more feminine. 
and women See, I, tend to become a little more in their masculine, and it actually yeah. works, but they are more interested in feelings and connections and safety and compassion. And I'm, again, not saying that they're in their 20s, they're not, but testosterone is a hugely powerful hormone, hormone right? And yeah. in both men and women. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it makes women more aggressive in what, well, wait a minute. So, so we're saying as women, as, as, you know, as the estrogen balance reduces and women have you know, proportionally mm-hmm. more testosterone, they're getting more aggressive at the same time as men who are, are losing testosterone. We always see in the ads, you know, with the, the, the sports star guys, right? Uh, Flutie and the other guy, you know, uh, the big hurt, mm-hmm. you know, you got to get your, got to get your testosterone, you know, and it's, if that's reducing, then it's, it's like we're almost equalizing. It's like guys are, are running world, on testosterone world. only at 18. And, uh, well, see, now I would characterize this differently and I'll tell you why. First of all, no guy wants to be thought of as feminine. I'll tell you right now. Um, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we're not changing in ways that, you know, in other words, if I look at this male perspective, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so it's not, I'm not becoming more feminine. I'm making different choices. I'm I'm adding complexities. I'm I'm doing things that to me make sense now. And that the person Mm -hmm. that might've attracted me because they had the hottest body in the world when I was like 18, 19, you know, someone could have the hottest body in the world, and that's really great. But if they if they have the intelligence of a brick, it's not going to get anywhere. Whereas at eighteen, it would have. So there's, there's a, well, there's it's not a, becoming think, more feminine. It's 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 coming into your feminine energy more. It's different than becoming feminine. Yeah, see, not, I disagree with know. the whole concept, and I, because just mm-hmm. be, first of all, a I don't like to think of myself as feminine. Uh, I'm a mm-hmm. macho dude, right? It's just you know that's that's how I see myself. Mm-hmm. But secondly, mm-hmm. I think that's a mischaracterization. I think you alienate guys when you talk about it like that. Now I think women mm-hmm. can, would. Now I could be wrong. But women, you know, would take the idea, well, they're getting more masculine energy because that's, you know, more assertive, more determinant, more things like that. Guys, the last thing we want to thought, be thought of is having more feminine energy. Well, but, why don't we but call I think it yin that, and yang? We can call it yin mm, and yang. It's less mm, triggering. I think it's, it's, the same, no, I mean, I it's, think there's a, mm-hmm. it's almost like we speak in a different language, which we all know, you know, the, the, the whole Mars-Venus thing. Mm-hmm. But I think guys, if you're, especially if we're going to talk to guys about this, that there's a different terminology. I wouldn't frame it in that terminology. I would think of it uh, in terms of, like I say, you know, just more complexity, different emotional content, that there is, there are things that we are bringing, you know, as we, as we age and, and, uh, you know, experience things. It's like, you know, guys will drink cheap beer, young guys, whereas older guys want the, you know, the, the, you know, the Shafit, was it Lafitte Rothschild, you know, 200 year old bottle, you know, it's just, it's very Mm -hmm. different. You know, in the same way. Well, experience um, I, plays a role in it. Yeah. Um, okay. Obviously, also, I, I did want to add that that so we were talking about um, about the the aspects of compassion and, and mm-hmm. sexuality, and I think we only talk, we only mentioned engagement, and I really wanted to talk about the second. The, we talk, so engagement is being aware of the other person. We can run over person. time. Yeah, we can run over yeah, time. Yeah, so I just feel free. To, Vanessa, know, stick around. And I know around. Vanessa's still on. Good to have you here. Um, <laughs> yeah, she, may to, she may need to go. Vanessa, how's your Do you have to go or can you stick around for a few minutes? You got a few more minutes? I'm okay. I can stick around. Oh, good. This is fascinating. Okay. You got to call back from a phone we recognize next time. <laughs> so we actually have a number. <laughs> Sorry. You know, because I, I can't oh, log I you give, in. So. Give me a heads up. I think it's fine if you give me a heads up and say I'm going to call about 930 or about 1030. That works. Are you in Eastern well, I can, time? Well, I can screen the calls now, too. I, I figured out how to do that, so that's interesting. Yeah, but so it's fine. Always, I think a lot of people are going to have to these days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't like block well, numbers because okay, it so, usually indicates a problem. That's why I was suspicious. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Vanessa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dorothy. Well, yeah. I get it. Well, so, the, so we're talking about – so in, in a sexual relationship, and we want to make sure we're engaging the powers of compassion – so mm-hmm. the first psychology was engagement where you um, essentially aware, aware of the other person. And I think Vanessa talked about this, how this gentleman was aware of her, like 
finely tuned to subtleties in her emotional state and mm-hmm. asking, asking about it and checking in with her and saying, I'm here for you. I see what you're doing. I know what you're doing and I don't judge you or criticize you, but, but, but let's not, let's be close instead of pushing each other away, et cetera. So this awareness and the second psychology of compassion, the second component is action. So he was also doing that. So taking the situation where I'm aware, I see distress, I see passion, I see joy, I see this person's qualities, I'm connecting with them, and I'm going to take action, I'm going to ask the questions, I'm going to um, say, hey, does this feel good to you? If not, what does? How about this? Great, you know, the communication in the act of sexuality or in the act of the relationship outside of the bedroom, they're actually taking action that's compassionate to relieve stress, to increase the joy of your partner. This seems basic. But for a lot of people, it's not. They, I mean, we don't have childhoods like we discussed. We don't all have childhoods where we, this was modeled for us and given to us. Mm-hmm. We have to learn it as adults. And there are many tools to learn these things if you have not and you feel that, that in your relationships, in your sexual relationships, this is a deficit and um, you'd like to increase it. And, and, and it starts inside. It starts with compassion with yourself, right? We, a lot of us have these negative inner voices that we were told our whole lives. And that is the root of the lack of being able to be compassionate with the next person, right? So if you can't do it with yourself, it's hard to share it with a partner. And, um, well, you made an interesting point earlier about going back to childhood. I think for, for most children, you know, the first thing they learn is, is, is shame. You know, put your clothes on. Don't go out in public without this. Don't look this. You know, don't do this. Don't do that. Don't see this film. Don't ask that question. You know, when kids first ask about sex, the first thing they get is rejection. You know, don't ask about that. I'll, I'll tell you when you're older or go ask your father or your mother or something like that. So I think for yeah. a lot of kids, one of our biggest problems is that kids' initial reaction to their own body and, and to life and, you know, things they see in the movies and stuff like that is they get aimed for it one way or another. Well, and even if the adult doesn't say anything, I mean, kids are so good at reading body language, especially mm-hmm. kids who have parents that are emotionally unavailable or dysregulated, okay? So we know that those mm. kids grow into adults who are hypervigilant with other facial expressions, super sensitive if anyone says the wrong thing or has a body empaths. language. I mean, <laughs> well, empaths. more than that, it almost empaths yeah. is good, but almost to, a, almost to a disservice. So, so hypervigilant that anybody's subtle little anything is crushing to their, to their mood, you know? But, well, um, it could be a survival skill, too, for those of us, like I said, it is a survival in, uh, skill. less than safe but, families. But, we had to be hypervigilant. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But as an adult, we have to realize when we're hypervigilant and allow other people the room to have their emotion without us being like, oh, did you make that face? Did you make your eyes? You know, whatever. But, um, yeah, that's true. Okay. Yeah. yeah so the so little children, true. right. So children see their parents react. So even if, like a child says, mommy, what's anal sex? You know, which is a question I got once. And, and, and my first feeling was, oh, my God, do I really have to have this conversation? And, and they can tell. <laughs> Yep. They can tell pretty quickly, like they can say your body language and your hesitation and your facial expression. So it's great to do the work privately first before your kids are old enough and that conversation start happening to go ahead and do your inner work and get really comfortable and maybe even do practicing dialogue with your partner. You know? um, so, so we can come to the table for our children in a way that's super body positive with great boundaries and values, yeah, without giving them that weird feeling. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Makes sense. Dorothy, um, did you notice the um, person you had a relationship with, were they fairly secure? Did they, you know, you say they came from a religious family, so, but they, they weren't so strictly religious that they couldn't, you know, have a, have a relationship. Uh, and those didn't have to be married, for example. Um, but it just, what did you notice about uh, the person you were with in terms of their own security? This is for Vanessa. 
Yeah. Vanessa. I'm sorry. Did I mention the wrong name? Mm-hmm. This is okay. by mistake. Um, <laughs> and isn't that, here's another, we have to talk about that too. I think you say one thing and something else comes out. One day I'm going to say something really horrendous on the show. and It'll be podcast forever. <laughs> anyway, Vanessa. And I've what, had, I've had a think? religious boyfriend, and I will say it's the opposite of what you'd expect. I had a very religious boyfriend who was mm-hmm. a youth minister, and I was very surprised at how that the stereotype you might assume was the opposite. And then let's take it to Vanessa. Well, it depends on the religion. There are religions that free <laughs> well, you and there are religions that restrain you. No, no. Wasn't one no. of those. It was very restraining. Yes. And, and when uh-huh. he practiced out in public and how he talked out in public very different than his private life. But let's take it to Vanessa with that one. Huh. Same. I, I, I think that I, I mean, she was 31. And You're getting quiet. A little oh, close sorry. to the phone or something. Yeah, that's better. Thank you. Can you hear me better? Okay. Yep. So um, same. He was 31, and I think that I was maybe the those relationships that he had had. Um. Not to say that he had, didn't have other encounters, but um, he admitted to me that um, when he was in high school, because you know he had no sex education and didn't know at all what any of it was about, that he mm-hmm. started watching porn when he was in high school. So, you know, I have my own thoughts on that. I think it desensitizes people to reality. And then I think it kind of uh, yeah. If you're basing a sexual relationship on porn, you know, then that's that's a warped view right there. So, you, right, so you're saying the 31 was the same person you were we were talking about earlier, or is this a different person? Yep, same person. Okay. But um, so I think that's where he, you know, got his sex ed. But in contrast, I will say I had a, a previous ex-boyfriend who. Dad thought it was a good idea when he was 12 years old to drop him off at a theater to watch porn and then come back, you know, whatever, an hour later. And You're a man now, son. Was, yeah, now you've seen what yeah, life's exactly, really like. Exactly. Oh, my God. I hate but that. But he was <laughs> the exact opposite. But he was yeah. the exact opposite. So it's interesting to see how that manifests. Like, I don't know who, you know, who watched what. But mm-hmm. it's interesting to see how that manifested differently in two different people. Someone that had like very connected parenting and a religious, like close family, close household, as opposed to someone whose dad just dropped him off at a theater. Because the dad that just dropped him off at a theater turned out to be like, you know, a crazed philanderer. So <laughs> hmm. one of the guys I walked in on. <laughs> oh, isn't that interesting? Um, yeah. So... How did you came to walk in on these? If you don't mind me asking, I mean, I almost wonder. It's almost oh, like they God. wanted to get caught. I mean, is that, is that a whole other show? I mean, no. You don't have to answer it. Okay. Mm, I'm just I curious. don't mind answering it. I, I will okay. tell you that I think that I have incredibly, incredibly strong intuition and okay. bordering on some psychic abilities. Um, I'll just give you the Reader's Digest version. Um, one, that one in particular, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I was living in Manhattan, and I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was like, oh, my God, he's cheating on me. And I got in a taxi at 3 o'clock in the morning, pretended that I was just out of the bar, and his house was closer. And so went to his house, reached above the door frame, grabbed the spare key, and walked in the house. Surprise. Uh, Hi, honey, I'm home. <laughs> 
surprised. <laughs> exactly. He's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I was like, oh, that was on this side of town. It was just easier. That was one. Number two was, uh, number two, I had met a guy who was um, an ex-Marine. Um, I think it was Marine. Maybe not. Maybe Army. He was in Desert Storm. I definitely think he got some uh, damage there, some chemical damage, some some weapons. <clears throat> was seeing him for three months. That's really common. Going. Yeah. Yeah, we decided to go on vacation in mm-hmm. um, a tropical location. And three days into our trip, he decided he'd rather hang out with the 19-year-old French girl. <laughs> so... Um, Basically, he snuck off at 12 o'clock at night saying he was going to the bar. My intuition, like all the hair stood up on the back of my neck. <laughs> this is a funny Did story. Did you suspect I, that I, um, before you got the impression they were cheating right at the moment they were cheating? Or is this something that you just got in? It was more like a spontaneous, oh, my God, they're cheating right now. I'm just curious. It was an, well, like I could see that he was kind of being flirty with her, and then and then it was about oh my god, he's, he's going to get cheated on me, and I'm not going to the bar. So and how do you so handle that? All in black. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what. I love you on the show here. You got to call back more often. I want to get Dorothy's take on this just for a bit. So Dorothy, what is it about cheating? What is it about? What's the dynamic there? I mean, why do people do it? Uh, why do people <sighs> know other people are doing it? Why don't they just if they have a problem? You know, if you're, I mean, you should be attracted to the person you're with, ideally. That's the whole point. Uh-huh. I don't think it's you know, about I'm, attraction I'm, or not attraction. What's it about? I don't think it's about attraction or not attraction. I think it's something else entirely. But I will say it's 1110 and I'm being called. I have to go because our time is over. This is a great topic. Yeah. This is a great topic. The topic of cheating. And what is it? Is it actually sexual attraction to someone else? So irresistible that you have to, no, there's something a lot more to it. There's people who do it and people who don't. I think it's ego. Do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's ego. Vanessa, you have to come but back yeah. and join us. This is yeah, fascinating please you do, because you're so yeah. intelligent, so many interesting this experiences, and I have a feeling you could probably comment <laughs> on just about everything we talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's probably she's probably tried it at one point. Yeah, this is fascinating. But uh, but it was interesting too when when I think younger, uh, when you mentioned it first, I was seeing like like a twenty like a young twenty year old guy, but a thirty one year guy, thirty one year old guy, is pretty mature at that point, you know, relative to as opposed to like a nineteen twenty twenty one year old. So you're still the, they're younger, yes, but you know, the older you get, the less the age matters. So we should, we should talk about what's too sure. young or too old at some point. That'd be interesting. In mm-hmm, other words, mm-hmm. if, you know, could a 30-year-old go with a 60-year-old and be that okay? Or a 70-year-old? You know, at what point for, for happens, men or women? you know? Yeah. And what's the attraction? That like, happens. I find women really attractive. I, I happen to like gray hair, you know, and I think, mm. which is fascinating. What, and what is, because I have women that color their hair. It's like, why is that's gray is fabulous. White's even better. So, and they're like, why? Well, because it's mature. You've got life experience. You're interesting. You know, there's something there, you know, as opposed to... Well, you're you know, unusual. So yeah, I know. That, that's for we, sure. We, I think we have some unusual, yeah, we have an unusual tribe here, I think probably all of us, which is okay. more fun anyway, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know you have to go, but uh, let's get contact information, websites, anything you want to do. And, and Vanessa, like I say, well, uh, now that I know how to screen calls, I can, you can just call back and I'll just check and see who it is. And if, it, if I get your familiar <laughs> voice, I'll put you on. If I get some obscene person, obviously they're not going to be on. <laughs> so they would just take it. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so, so much Mike, for taking my call. It was mm. fun. 
Oh, oh thank you, Vanessa. Question. Oh, yeah, pleasure. Catch the rest of our shows too. We we don't we talk about more than sex, but all this is this is one of my, <laughs> rapidly turning into one of my favorite hours of the week. So it's 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 fun. <laughs> So our website, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. That's where you'll find us and all the other things we do. Every day is different on action radio. It's, I mean, completely different, radically different. Every hour is radically different. That's what makes it fun. All right, uh, Dorothy, and then I'll uh, tie things mm. up and we'll do it Best again tomorrow. Place, yeah. Best place to find me is on Facebook, Dorothy Diana. I also have Instagram, Dorothy underscore Diana. Uh, my main focus is teaching somatic movement therapy and uh, defeating sexual shame to women using dance therapy. Uh, very fun. I've been doing it for many years. Um, but I have a lot of other interests, and I always love to hear from people and questions and comments and uh, advice. So, yeah. And that's why we do it. All right. Mm-hmm. So, me, I'm Greg Penglis. I'm the host here. And you guys, I forgot to tell you, this is our 1,000th show on Blog Talk Radio. This is like an anniversary show. And so it's great to have you both fun. And so we have many more to do. So we're coming up on our four-year anniversary, December 24th. I actually started Christmas Eve uh, of 2018. So we shall do more and more of these. And Vanessa, in case you're curious too, we also have a citizen legislature. So what this show does that makes us unique in the world is that we have a website at writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. And that's where we actually write citizen legislation and and, uh, submit these to all levels of government from Congress to local government. So if you have a bill that needs doing, uh, that's, that's what we do. So we'll find out the rest of your life next time. But uh, feel free. Join us anytime. <laughs> join us anytime you want. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye bye, all. Have a great day. Bye. Bye, everybody. Let me play a couple things, and then we'll do it again tomorrow morning, seven o'clock Central Time. Uh, so when we get started, of course, you can catch us anytime on podcast. But seven a.m. Central tomorrow with another completely different show for our two thousand and one, <laughs> two thousand and first show. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery? Alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care. Better health through better knowledge and advocacy. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My pillow pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash 
W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.